Come on, let's go. Friday, January 7th, 2022, 8.11 p.m. Coming at you guys from Paris, France. That's right. It is BK here, of course, the first podcast of 2022. Please follow me for breaking news throughout the week at Bravo Kilo Actual on Twitter and check out my Instagram at BK Actual. Uh, And uh, guys, you probably know where I'm going to start. I really didn't anticipate the first podcast of the year starting on this subject, but it has blown up pretty big. And unusually enough, you longtime listeners know we always start with our international news, and we're going to still get to that. But I have to address the ongoing shitstorm with Air Force Special Operations Command, who has chosen to double down uh, after a memo by an author was shared on social media and Uh, Let me just say straight off the bat, you guys, I was not, uh, many people shared this before me, and it was all over the place. I think, though, I was probably the first one to put it on Twitter, and that's where uh, at least Dan Crenshaw, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, saw it, and then he put it on his Instagram, my tweet. Uh, So, like, everybody's like, oh, you did this, and I'm like, well, it was out there before, so I'm not, like, trying to take credit for it. Anything in particular, it was all thanks to you guys and the brave people, what I'll call whistleblowers, who originally put this out. It was not me. I'm just a a reporter following the news. And uh, so I wasn't the original guy is my point. But it did blow up, and I want to talk about it. So let us start with the memo itself. And guys, if you haven't heard, this is all about the lowering of standards across the board, but most particularly in the Air Force Special Tactics community, which is the tip of the spear, the very tip of the spear, probably responsible for the highest body count of the entire global war on terror. Um, And these special tactics communities, which include special reconnaissance men, pararescue men, and, of course, combat controllers, is in a fucking world of hurt right now. And they're angry. And I'm going to share my thoughts on that in a moment. But these people are mad. And the reason this is all coming out for and I know AFSOC is listening right now, and I know the special tactics goons are listening too. You know why this is all coming out? You really thought you could do this and your best people weren't going to revolt? Did you really have the arrogance to think that? I'm so angry with them, right? You know what? All right. I'm going to stop myself. Let me get through the memo. I'm going to say some passages. And also for the journalists listening to me, I will be suggesting helpful questions you could ask the command after they release that horseshit statement that they put out on their Instagram, which was full of lies and just uh, double speak and nonsense. It was a joke. They would have been better off just not saying anything. But let me get through the memo first, and we'll go from there. I'm going to skip ahead because he kind of goes into the background of special tactics and what there are. Uh, The authors or author, I don't know who it was. And um, one other thing, everybody who knows now or who matters knows the name of this officer who received special treatment uh, in, and it's out there anyway, but for this podcast, I will not repeat the name because why beat a dead horse? Frankly, they do not deserve that respect because I have been told by numerous sources that this person sought to take revenge on certain instructors. So it's certainly not the type of person I would normally um, protect. And I'm not really protecting because their name is out there anyway. But I will go ahead and do that for the purposes of this podcast. So what? here's what happened, according to the memo. In 2018, a captain, an 03, an officer, who, by the way, is an academy graduate, 
she ma- uh, made it to their first special tactics officer phase two. And yes, it is a female because that's what the whole shitstorm is about, right? Now, phase two is a week-long selection only for officers. They're going to be combat rescue officers or special tactics officers, otherwise known as combat control officers, okay? Because the Air Force does not want their officers quitting when they go to the real selection. That was true when I went through. The officers, when I went through, were the strongest and fastest and best in the water, and it's probably that case in most classes because they want these guys to lead. That's the whole point. That's why they get a whole pre-workout of week-long phase two selection, and that is run by senior enlisted operators, and it is very rigorous. Now, this person quit. Now, having quit, usually you would get sent home. That is not what happened in this case, according to the memo. This person was given a chance to finish. Now, reporters, this would be a great question for the commander of AFSOC, General Jim Slife. Is it typical for an officer candidate who quits at phase two to be allowed to finish the course? Of course it isn't. It's never fucking happened in history. But again, she's a female. Now, she uh, pretty much decided she got a chance to uh, go back. And even though she was allowed to finish the course, she was a non-selectee, right? But she was invited to return to phase two. Again, this doesn't happen unless it's an injury or something. For Certainly not for a quitter. So then in 2019, this officer goes to her second phase two class. I don't know. Apparently she didn't quit this time, but she received a unanimous non-select from the cadre. Unanimous based on her performance. However, Higher leadership dictated that she be selected as a special tactics officer trainee candidate anyway. And this, of course, is rare for higher leadership to override the cadre. I don't know if it's ever happened, especially a unanimous decision. So she's selected. Fine. In January of 2020, they began the two to three year long special tactics officer training pipeline at the special tactics training squadron at Hurlburt Field, Florida. During this training, according to the memo, they became known for quitting and getting preferential treatment. This officer quit during various points of her training. So multiple times, you guys. This is unheard of. And I'm telling you, you know how you know all this is true? There's extraordinary detail in here. The dates are all there. What she did is all there. It's all there. So you know it's true. And by the way, for everybody listening, yes, I've been uh, numerous people. Numerous sources have confirmed that this is true. So save the, it's not factually accurate, whatever. That's a lie that AFSOC put out. Now, also, in addition to all this, right, even though she quit multiple times, her status, according to the memo, was monitored by Congress and AFSOC leadership. That's 06 and above on a weekly basis. Another great question for reporters. Who was Congress, who were the representatives from Congress monitoring this? They give an example, the memo does. For example, during the Special Warfare pre-dive course at Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, she quit in a pool session while next to multiple students. Then the instructors that were present pulled her from the pool, sent her back to her special tactics squadron at Hurlburt Field. There she was allowed to attend a special offering of a more relaxed version of the pre-dive course, which, by the way, is not an official thing. The official course is run in Texas by the 350th Special Warfare Training Squadron. 
So she completed her special pre-dive course at Hurlburt Field, and then she was allowed to continue on with the pipeline despite having not graduated the formal pre-dive course. Again, progress was briefed to Congress on a weekly basis, and numerous wing-level leaders, 04, 05, and 06, would continually check in on her. This is not common. In other words, unheard of for any male trainee. Then in spring 2021, she attended Combat Control School, CCS, at Pope Army Airfield, North Carolina. This is considered the most challenging and technically focused school of the ST training pipeline. While at CCS, the memo states, she self-eliminated during a solo land navigation event. Now, again, that's a quit if you don't know, self-elimination. If a self-elimination occurs, the student is typically returned to their previous duty assignment and either reclassified by the Air Force or given the option to separate from the military. You know what happened in her case? Upon returning to the STS at Hurlburt Field, she met with numerous senior leaders from the 24th Special Operations Wing, which is the 24th. This is the Special Mission Unit. This is JSOC, Joint Special Operation Command. The 24th Special Operation Wing Commander, who was at the time, according to the memo, Colonel Matthew Allen, and again, according to the memo, Vice Commander Al- Colonel Allison Black, talked to her about staying in the training pipeline despite her effort to quit. And according to the memo, those two officers were even known to offer her a highly selective spot at the Tier 1 Special Mission Unit, the Joint Special Operations Command Unit. Typically, you must go through an entirely separate selection process to be even considered for a special mission unit. In this case, the offer was open to her without the need to try out according to the memo. So, after she quit CCS, she was given the opportunity to train with a personal trainer of her choosing, was able to take weeks off of work without leave or repercussions, and had the ability to meet with various senior leaders. Of course, all of this is atypical, as the memo writes. Yeah, that's understatement of the year. In addition to this, according to the memo, she was known to tell numerous special tactics trainees that she was, quote, too good, end quote, for the community, and that she quit because no one was continually praising her effort. Uh, This should go without saying, but nobody, male or female, as a trainee, is praised for their efforts or progress. Every once in a while for an outstanding performance, you might get a good job last name, and that's about the extent of it. So in spring 2021, shortly after returning to Hurlburt Field, and this is fucking galling, she was given the opportunity to write and present an after-action report to the AFSOC commander himself. They never, these AARs, rise to the level of the AFSOC commander. This AAR detailed her experiences of female in the SD pipeline and launched an investigation into the treatment of women in the AFSOC community. And this is, and I've heard multiple sources confirm this, operators, students, instructors, and leaders were questioned about their interactions with this person. Then, in spring of summer of 2021, she was selected to work directly under the AFSOC commander, still the AFSOC commander, Lieutenant General James Slife at AFSOC headquarters. She worked to audit courses and design new combat control standards despite her never working within AFSOC or AFSOC or gaining her beret and quitting multiple times. This action, states the memo, demoralized the community and has created rifts among operators. Additionally, working directly for a three-star general officer in this way is atypical 
for any training candidate that quits the ST pipeline. Again, reporters, great question for you there. And while she was at AFSOC headquarters, guess what she did? She filed an equal opportunity complaint, <laughs> which in which she said Special Warfare Training Squadron instructors coerced her into quitting the pipeline. Uh, I got fucking news for you. I was pretty much encouraged to quit every single day when I was at the old Indoc, as was pretty much everybody else. It's a fucking mind fuck. That's what instructors do. Like, hey, BK, come on, man. This is, aren't you tired? Don't you just want to go home, man? It could all be over. Just say the word. Any fucking operator listening to this has heard that shit before from an instructor, you fucking snowflake. This complaint was filed even though this candidate had been known to tell other ST trainees that she quit of her own free will and that she disliked the ST community as a whole. So where does that leave us today? In December 2021, the ST community was told that her training status will actively be reinstated on 3 January 2022, according to the memo, despite her choice to quit and her negative view of special tactics. She will be joining the Special Tactics Training Squadron as a Special Tactics Trainee and will pick up where she left off. This decision was pushed down to the Training Squadron Commander regardless of the demoralization it has on the rest of the community. This decision was driven, states the memo, by AFSOC Commander Lieutenant General James Slife and supported by Colonel Jason Daniels, who is the current 24th Special Operations Wing Commander. The commander of combat control school has informed the 352nd Special Warfare Training Squadron staff that she will graduate regardless of if she meets standards or not. And I'll leave the memo there. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fucking hard to believe. And guys, you know, I'm a lot. I was, I was, uh, let me just state first off because I have to say this for the record. Obviously, I have, was not a fan of allowing all, all combat jobs open to women a, a while ago. Um, I'll own that. I have come around. Uh, besides, the ship has sailed, right? It's happening, okay? So I've, I've jumped on board. I'm like, okay, it's beyond my view anyway. I'm, I was against it for not only tactical reasons, but for socio-political reasons, but that's neither here nor there. The fact is it's happening, and it's fine, okay? And I have met young females. I've personally worked with some of them when I do my little hell day events with some of you guys, and some of you guys listening know that. I've worked with some young females who kicked ass. Not only could hang physically, their demeanor was great. They weren't like cry facing the whole time. They showed leadership. Just, I was deeply impressed. And that's part of who changed my mind on that. So, some of my thoughts on this. What are you doing here right now? What you're going to do? This is a disservice to all women. Every woman going through this special tactics training pipeline now is going to be looked at side-eyed. Guys are going to prejudge them because of this fucking right here. This example, this quitter. What else do I have? I actually took notes this time. You guys know I usually just free flow, but I did write down a few things. And I challenged AFSOC to listen to this on Instagram. I know you're stalking my account, guys. I can see you in my stories. Even though you don't follow... AFSOC actually unfollowed me some time ago, but now they're stalking my account. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. And I'll ask them right now. Do you want to be an elite commando force? I mean, do you want to? Because it doesn't sound like you do. Uh, do you know, all this talk about the new special warfare program, it's changed a lot, right? This was to make Air Force right up there with Navy special warfare and Army 
Special Warfare. That was the whole fucking point, but it doesn't sound like you really want it. And you know what fucking part of the problem is? AFSOC, Air Force Special Operations Command, is run by a pilot. It always has been run by pilots, and it's run by a pilot right now, Lieutenant General James Slife, who desperately wants his fourth star, and he thinks he can get it by putting his little pet, who quit numerous times, through this pipeline. And you know it. Fucking admit it, dude. I wish he would. The lowering of standards was obvious and predictable from the start. I said years ago, I said, when the woman doesn't make it through, they're going to lower standards until one does. And then when not enough, big air quotes here, women make it through, they'll lower them even more. As far as the bullying claim that they put on their response to this, I kind of addressed that already. You know what? If this chick had a shred of integrity, she would have realized that this is not for her. And she would have gone in a different path. She would have realized that she didn't earn it. And she would have gone. Nobody's forcing you to go. I don't want to hear that crap. I've heard some rumors like, well, they're leaning on her to go. You know what? You fucking can do whatever job you want in the military. I mean, you fucking are an academy graduate. You can do whatever you want. You didn't earn this. In your heart, you know you didn't earn it. You know you quit. And you're still going to fucking do that? And the filing of complaints against everybody else? That's what made me want to fucking not black out the name on the memo. Again, I have multiple confirmations of this. Extremely detailed. You guys can go read the memo yourself. It's at the Washington Free Beacon, Stars and Stripes, other places. Uh, it's extremely detailed. All these dates, names. It's not obviously not. You can fucking tell, dude. It's just real. And again, I'll ask AFSOC, if you're so proud of what you've done here, then why are you covering it up? Why? You should be shouting. Shout, like, look what we did. Look how proud we are. They can't do that because they know that everything in the memo is right. They know that she quit numerous times. They know that an officer quitting during phase two would never, ever be invited back to attend. Uh, maybe under extraordinary circumstances. But... Yeah, that's the fucking memo, and that's the deal. So as far as some of my reflection on it, you know what? At the end of the day, people go into... Why do you think people go into jobs to be a combat controller, to be a PJ, to be a SEAL, to be a Green Beret? It's not because it transfers into the civilian world, that's for sure. People go into these jobs because they want to be elite warriors, and they want to be surrounded by other elite warriors, other like-minded individuals. That's why you go to war. When you're in war, you don't care about the foreign policy. You're not sitting here thinking, oh, I wonder what the uh, president of uh, Afghanistan and our president are thinking. You're not thinking about that crap. Especially when the bullets are flying and bombs going off, you're thinking about your boys next to you, right and left, or in the future, perhaps women. And you want those women to have earned their place. And those women will want to have earned their place, honestly. A couple other thoughts. You know what? I was thinking about this when it got pretty big. I was like, what am I doing? I should not give a shit about this. You know, I've been out for a while. I'm nobody. I don't work for the government. I'm just a guy with a podcast, <laughs> you know, jacked and tanned beyond belief, nevertheless. But at the end of the day, I'm just a civilian. I've been out for a while now. I shouldn't care. But the thing is, here's what makes me care. Because I know there's a lot of guys out there right now who cannot speak up about this. Trust me, throughout the years I've been doing this podcast, I've been contacted by so many, thousands, thousands of messages 
from current operators, from kids just starting their career off, saying they listen to podcasts, thousands of messages I've got, and most of them cannot speak up. A lot of guys who are even out have work for the government or have a con- government contractor boss. They can't speak up. And I get that. They, they aren't allowed to be out there on social media like I am. So in a way, I feel like almost obligated. Like, hey, nobody else is going to do it. You got to do it. And I want to do this because I want to call out this leadership and fucking say, how dare you? How dare you take this elite group of warriors that has fucking battled for 20 years straight fucking won incredible victories, amazing heroics, names that are legends in the community. There's just too many to list. From the very first fucking gunshots that were fired in the global war on terror and in Afghanistan, all the way up until the evacuation of Kabul, special tactics members were there. How fucking dare you disgrace that elite brotherhood? Why don't you fucking take a long look in the mirror? And I'm talking to you fucking right now, General Slife. Why don't you take a long look in the mirror and decide where you want to be and what you want to be remembered for? You think you're going to be fucking be remembered for having the first woman who quit multiple times through the pipeline? No. You're going to be remembered for trashing an entire community of warriors that went out there and fucking battled and bled and died and were, did their best for their brothers and for the United States of America. And you, General Slife, you are tarnishing that legacy. And General Slife, if you hate special tactics so much, and I know you do because everybody knows it, you hate these operators so much, you hate these proud commandos so much, why don't you fucking transfer to a helicopter squadron or something? Where you came from? Why are you even at AFSOC? Go ahead and quit, dude. Nobody's fucking forcing you to be there. You got a pension already? Are you really going to suck off how many more people for your fourth star? What, so you can get an extra 10 grand a year on your already ridiculous pension? Honestly, it's fucking, you make me sick. All of you at AFSOC Command and all of you at the leadership of the Special Operations, uh, this, the uh, 24th Special Operations Wing. When I was in, I didn't get a chance to go to the 24th because I had my disease, which unfortunately cut my career short, but that's what I was dreaming of. Every operator wants to be at the 24th Special Tactics Wing. Every single one. That's the goal. Joint Special Operations Command, the tip of the spear. Everybody wants to go there. And you, whoever's running it right now, should be fucking ashamed of yourself. Anyway, you guys, you know, this is not scripted. I'm sorry. That came off a little hot. This is not scripted in any way. This is a live recorded show. There's no breaks, no editing. That's how we do it. That's how it's always been done. I take a lot of pride in that. I'm sorry. I'm very passionate about this issue. And then I want to make one other point before I leave this. I'm a little bit disappointed in the lack of support from the big military accounts on Instagram. And even like the big Instagram military meme accounts, like many of them, exactly one of them, reached out to me on the DMs, and he's a big one. I won't say who it is just because um, uh, I I will say that it is one of the SF uh, accounts, the Special Forces accounts. Uh, And only one meme account reached out to me with any size of following and said, hey, man, the guys appreciate what you're doing, and that meant a lot to me. I'm disappointed that a lot more people didn't even let me put. You could have put it up on your story. Uh, any of this, you could put my thing out. Not that I'm trying to like be, I'm trying to get this story out. This whole fucking point of this. It's not about me. It's about the degradation of this fucking band of warriors. That's what it's about. And 
don't even fucking get me started on the military influencers themselves. Like, where the fuck are you? You know, I don't want to name any names. I think you all know who I'm fucking talking about. There are guys with literally over a million followers who could pick this up. Huge veterans, combat vets. I guess they don't want to lose some of their sponsors by talking about anything controversial. It's disappointing to me. I'm not going to lie. And I could name five right off my ba- right off the bat that I'm thinking of. Not a whisper. Oh, but they'll put up another picture of them in kit for likes, though. Yeah, they'll put that up. Nothing important, though. There goes the notepad. Guys, that's all I got uh, for that. If you have any other thoughts on this, you guys, of course, feel free to contact me and uh, get in the DMs. And, hey, Apsai, if you have something to say, you can contact me. My DMs are wide open. I know you won't. You'll just continue to stalk my Instagram, even though you unfollowed me some time ago. That's fine, too. And if you even have any ideas, like, guys, again, I know I feel bad because I know a lot of people who want to speak up who can't speak up. And that's just the way it is, and I get it. And they're right now, as I speak, as I'm recording this, they're frantically having meetings and undergoing witch hunts, which, again, is how you know the memo is true. Because instead of trying to fucking look at themselves in the mirror and maybe listen to that little rant I just did, instead of looking at themselves in the mirror and, like, thinking about things, maybe, like, you know what, we're fucked up. We're wrong. This is wrong, what we did, promoting this unqualified person like this and destroying morale and having our best seasoned warriors revolt against us. Instead of doing that, what are they doing right now as I record this? They're fucking frantically trying to find out the people who wrote this memo and anybody who shared it. That's what they're fucking wasting their time on. Very sad. Guys, that's all I got for you. Let me know your thoughts. Let us continue now with our regularly scheduled podcast and our international news and start with the very first day of the year, January 1st, 2022. At least 12 people were killed and more than a dozen were injured in a stampede near the city of Jammu in the Indian-controlled portion of Kashmir. And this was as thousands of devotees were paying obeisance at a famous Hindu shrine to mark the beginning of the new year. Uh, apparently, hundreds of people were packed inside a corridor of the shrine, which is called Mata Vaishno Devi, in the town of Katra, when about 2.30 a.m., geez, a clash broke out outside, and that led to the stampede. Um, cops tried to respond as quickly as they could, but the damage was already done. Uh, deadly stampedes, of course, <clears throat> during religious pilgrimages and festivals are common in India, where public safety measures are often flouted by temple authorities. Remember, guys, last year when we were doing a year in review, remember this shit happened in Israel as well, and that killed, what, 40-something dudes? Uh, In October 2013 in India, at least 115 people died when thousands of religious pilgrims panicked that a narrow bridge they were crossing might be collapsing, and that was during a temple festival as well. And then in April 2016, a series of explosions caused by a fireworks display during a religious festival at a temple in the southern Kerala state left 106 dead and hundreds injured. Of course, Prime Minister Narendra Modi used Twitter to express his condolences, saying he was, quote, extremely saddened by the loss of lives, end quote. So, fucking no bueno, man. These religious... I mean... (laughs) I wish I believed in anything that much, honestly. Not to make light of it, but shit, man. 
I mean, you can't really, can you imagine like a bunch of Catholics stampeding and like, you know, in like, I don't know, fucking San Diego? Probably wouldn't happen. What else? Well, let us talk about what's going on in Kazakhstan. I know every single person read this story or saw it on social media and immediately went into their Borat voice, didn't didn't you guys? I know I did for sure. I was like, you buy the clock radio, you cannot afford. I did it too, you guys. I did it too. Well, some of the latest on it was troops from a Russian-led military alliance arrived in Kazakhstan on Thursday to restore order after protests in the Central Asian country turned violent with police reporting that dozens of anti-government demonstrators had been killed and hundreds injured. This crisis marks the biggest challenge yet for the country's president, a guy named Kasim Jomart Tokayev. He's been in power less than three years, and it also threatens to stabilize an already volatile region. And Tokayev did request the Russian-led intervention. And the foreign soldiers were dispatched after the city hall in the city of Almaty, that is the country's largest city and former capital, was set ablaze on Wednesday. And the airport was overrun by an angry mob. Violence spread throughout the night. The cops opened fire on the demonstrators. Now, they accused the demonstrators of killing 18 law enforcement officers. How about that? And leaving 750 injured. All week long, there were reports of continued clashes in that city of Almaty, with the police saying they were, quote, cleansing the city of militants, end quote. Could hear heavy gunfire throughout the city. But as of Thursday night, the Internal Affairs Ministry said it had regained control of all government buildings in Almaty. So in case you didn't know anything about Kazakhstan, it is the world's largest landlocked country. And it has some of the largest oil fields on Earth and more than 40% of the world's uranium production. However, the average salary in Kazakhstan is the equivalent of $570 U.S. a month. And many people are angry at that socioeconomic disparity, which has been made worse, of course, by the pandemic, like fucking everything else. So the Russian-led effort to quell this unrest is described as a temporary peacekeeping mission will be limited in time, according to them, and will aim at protecting government buildings and military objectives, the group said in a statement. Um, This is all part of the Collective Security Treaty Organization. That's the group behind uh, summoning these Russian troops. I guess it's uh, their NATO, if you will. And they have dispatched about 2,500 troops to Kazakhstan, and that figure could go up. This is the first time in the history of the alliance, which is Russian's version of NATO. The New York Times just right. God, guys. I, I mean, sometimes a steel trap mine, it scares even me. Like, I didn't know that sentence was coming. That's written right in the article. I didn't see it. I didn't read the article ahead of time. But somehow, it just fucking sounded like it to me. My God. It scares even me sometimes, I got to tell you. Of course, uh, Russian state outlets posted videos of Russian troops boarding military aircraft and others driving, by the way. You know, it's funny. It says it says Kazakhstan is a landlocked country, right? But I'm looking at a map right now, and it looks like it is on the Caspian Sea, at least part of it. So I don't know if that was like a typo for the New York Times or not, but uh, maybe I'm looking at the wrong... I'm looking at the the map in the New York Times article. So 
They said landlocked, but it looks like the Caspian Sea hits Kazakhstan. So unless I'm fucking reading it wrong or something, I don't know. The authorities reported that in addition to those who have been killed, about a thousand people have been injured, and up to 400 had been hospitalized. About 2,000 people have been detained. Um, a lot of the deaths came when dozens of people, according to a police spokesman, were fired upon as they tried to storm government buildings and its headquarters and district offices of the police. So, yes. Now, do I have anything else? Uh, this is a, this is after, by the way, uh, President Qasem Jomart Tokayev said security forces can, quote, fire without warning, end quote, to quell that unrest. Uh, they did say, they, did, they have said as of now, order has been mostly restored. And Tokayev did offer a special thanks to President Vladimir Putin of Russia. He said, quote, he responded to my appeal very promptly and most importantly, warmly in a friendly way with clock radio, end quote. I'm just making, I made up that last part. I, can't, I just can't help it. I know I'm, ten, I'm 10, I'm 10 years old. So why does this all fucking matter? Well, how does it matter to us anyway? Well, again, here's some of the backstory. What what kicked this off in the first place? Well, it was when the government lifted price caps for liquefied petroleum gas, frequently referred to by its initials LPG. That is a low-carbon fuel that many Kazakhs use to power their cars. But again, the more deep-rooted things, the social and economic disparity, uh, disparity that I mentioned before, but the LPG fucking cap lift was really the catalyst. So... What do they want? Well, it kind of has morphed into a bunch of different shit. Not just lower fuel prices. They want an election system for regional leaders. And in short, they are demanding the ouster of the political forces that have ruled the country without any substantial opposition since 1991. So why does this fucking matter? Well, Kazakhstan, it's, it's, it's a large country as far as acreage. But they only have a population of 19 million. So it's fucking spread out and it's pretty fucking primitive too. Sorry, I'm saying the F word a lot. You guys, I'm still worked up from the first segment. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, Kazakhstan is clearly aligned with Russia. And it's kind of exposing the vulnerability of these strongman leaders that the Kremlin has trusted to kind of keep order in their sphere of influence. But in a way, this is good for Russia. Because they are obviously probably looking at this like, hey, let's fucking reassert our influence in this, our former Soviet domain. Much like how they are probably looking at Ukraine, another former Soviet domain, in much the same way. Now, this is the third uprising against an authoritarian Kremlin-aligned nation following the pro-democracy protests in Ukraine in 2014 and then Belarus in 2020, heavily covered here on this podcast. Now, Kazakhstan matters to us because it has become a significant country for American energy concerns. ExxonMobil and Chevron have invested tens of billions of dollars in Western Kazakhstan. And although they do have those close ties with Moscow... They also do maintain close links to the United States with oil investment seen as a counterweight to that Russian influence. And 
it helps that our government has long been way less critical of their authoritarianism in Kazakhstan than we have been in countries like Russia and Belarus. Uh, anything else about here? Who are the main political players in the country? Well, I already uh, mentioned the uh, pres the current president, but less than three years ago, Kazakhstan's old president, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, he's now 81, he resigned. So while he was in power, he, he kind of came up in 1989, right after the fall, you know, of, of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, well, 1991 was the collapse of the Soviet Union, so this is right before that. Uh, but during his rule, he was like the guy. He brought in all kinds of investments from foreign energy companies to develop those oil reserves. And uh, the oil reserves that Kazakhstan does have is probably one of the largest, if not the largest, of all the Soviet republics. Uh, so he hold, held power for a long time. He only handed power over in 2019 to this guy, Takayev. He was then, Takayev was, the Speaker of the Upper House of Parliament and a former minister. He's perceived as the hand-picked successor of Nazarbayev. And this revolt, though, could be a decisive break with Nazarbayev's rule. Indeed, on Wednesday, Tokayev dismissed Nazarbayev from his post as chairman of the council. How about that? Interesting stuff. Anything else about this? I mean, who you know, who knows anything about Kazakhstan? I certainly don't. But you guys, you know, that's why you're here. We learn together, as I've often stated. Not that I'm such some great genius, other than the steel trap mind, of course, which cannot be topped. All right, before we move on, guys, let's do something a little fun. You guys know I like to mix in these stories every once in a while, and especially at the start of 2022. Well, check this out. We have a great new invention for your genitals, and you guys know I like to stay on top of these things. What is this invention? Well, they're calling it a smart penis pad that claims to stop premature ejaculation by zapping you in the genital region. This, this is a skin patch you can wear, and it's called MORE, M-O-R. So the skin patch sits between the scrotum and the anus during sex, and it halts your premature ejaculation with a brief electric shock. Um, the CEO says it does not cause pain or discomfort. It works by interfering with nerve signals from the penis to the brain to delay orgasm. The CEO said premature ejaculation is the most common male sexual dysfunction as experienced by 30% of men. How about that? So, yeah. So, here's this is always the awkward part because, you know, this takes some, like, finagling to get all this in place. I mean, you know, putting on the condom is bad enough. Now you got to fucking put this thing into place. So, to use the device, you have to put it on the skin before intercourse, and then you have to sync it up to an app on your smartphone. I said, hold on, honey. I'm, I'm sinking. And then you or your partner can initiate a shock by tapping a button in the app, and you have the opportunity to raise or lower the intensity of the pulse. Oh, this is fantastic. Give this to your partner, men. That's great. She can zap you all, the, all day long. Anything else? The, this was unveiled this week at the 2022 Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, and it is planned to be released next year. So far, no pricing for the device has been announced. 
But you can bet that we will be keeping an eye on that one. What else around the world? Let's go to Canada. Canadian law banning so-called conversion therapy is poised to go into effect on Friday, which makes it a crime to provide or promote services intended to change or repress a person's sexual orientation or gender expression. So this will uh, prohibit forcing someone to undergo conversion therapy, taking a minor abroad to take part in conversion therapy, and profiting from, promoting, or advertising conversion therapy. Violations can draw sentences of up to five five years imprisonment. (laughs) Jesus. Um, This law is the Canadian government's second attempt to bring end to the widely discredited practice, and it's third since 2020. The previous bill was set aside in August after Prime Minister Justin Blackface Trudeau called an election. Uh, yes, okay. Um, the bill was passed through unanimous consent motion, and pretty much uh, not, uh, and then in the Senate, it really didn't uh, get a lot of opposition either. So some conservatives said they weren't happy with how fast it went through. They said it disregarded written viewpoints and concerns. Um, so Canada, by the way, is <clears throat> one of the latest countries to ban conversion therapy. The French Parliament voted on December 14th to ban the practice. And at least a dozen countries have adopted some form of legislative protection against it, including India, Malta, Ecuador, and Germany. In the United States, 20 states in Washington, D.C. have passed laws banning this. Now, the, the only objection most people have is like, a, well, what we in the United States would call a First Amendment issue, right? Uh, indeed, one of the Canadian legislators who expressed concern said, hey, what if you're just talking to like a religious leader, a counselor, or a parent, you know, and you're like, Hey, I don't know if I'm, you know, gay or not. And they're like, well, why don't you try to keep being straight until you're not straight, and then you'll figure it out from that. I mean, is that like conver- is that, is that conversion attempt right there? So I think that's the only thing like really people are concerned about is like an innocuous conversation could draw an accusation that you're attempting conversion therapy when all you're doing is like, well, why don't you just fucking forget about it for a while? And you're only twelve, and you know, keep doing your thing. And if you're gay, you're gay, and that's fine. So I think really that's the only concern. Let's move on. Let's go to Pakistan. Pakistan cleared the way for the first woman in the country's history to become a Supreme Court justice when a judicial commission approved the elevation of Justice Aisha A. Malik to the top court. The nomination of Justice Malik was hailed by lawyers and activists who saw it as a rare victory after decades of struggle to secure greater representation and rights for women in Pakistan's largely conservative and male-dominated society. Yeah, it's good. It uh, was backed by the Chief Justice, a guy named Gulzar Ahmed. And it will now go to a parliamentary committee, which is expected to confirm her appointment to a 10-year term is what they do over there. They don't have the lifetime appointment nonsense that we do. Actually, I'm on the fence with ours if it should be lifetime or not. Like, you don't want, I don't know, I'm on the fence with it. Like, on one hand, you don't want judges to be, justices to be subject to, like, political whims and whatever the fad is at the time. I get that. At the same time, you got some old fuckers on there. I mean, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 
Like, you think she was really all there near the end? I mean, she was there on the bench, like, right up till the end. You know? So, I'm just saying. Maybe there should be a mandatory retirement age at the minimum. Uh, the path to Malik's nomination was not smooth. She has faced bitter opposition from a large section of the legal community. It is still Pakistan, after all. Uh, anything else about this? Yeah, basically, it took uh, 74 years to get the first female. And that goes back, the 74 years is the creation of the independent Pakistan in 1947. Just side note, uh, I read a book once, and I can't remember what it's called, but it was about when Pakistan and India were divided into two separate countries, and like some British civil servant, some fucking rando, was basically responsible for drawing the line that carved out Pakistan. And then it was like a complete bloodbath as all the fucking Indians and in, in now in new Pakistan rushed to go back to India and all the Muslims living in India rushed to go back to Pakistan. And along the way they were like slaughtering each other. And like, it was like tens of thousands of people were murdered. It was totally insane. Uh, if any of you guys uh, knows the name of that book or a similar book, please send that to me in the DMS. Cause it was a, it's a great, crazy read. And I would not mind reading up on that again. All right, let's go to Australia. Let's talk about what's going on with this tennis player, Novak Djokovic. This is the men's number one tennis player in the entire world. Now, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy because he had received an exemption to the country's vaccine requirements to play in the Australian Open, right? Well, so they said, okay, you're good. Well, he was stopped at the border in Melbourne late Wednesday after flying from Dubai, and this was Dubai, and this was to defend his Australian Open title, so he won it last year. Now, state government and Australian tennis officials had granted Djokovic an exemption from COVID vaccination rules that would allow him to compete in the event. But upon his arrival, federal border officials said Djokovic did not meet the country's requirements for entry because he was unvaccinated, and then he canceled his visa. He believed this shit. He has filed a legal appeal, but I think he's like still there as of this podcast. And he's like stuck in some like quarantine hotel going through all this shit. And the reason they did this was pretty, it was public relations because the exemption had stirred anger in Australia, which has insane rules about coronavirus. If you haven't seen them and they're all over social media. I haven't talked about it much, but cause plenty of other people have, but Australia is like fucking basically a, a police state at this point. Like, did you see the prime minister came out the other day? He's like, yeah, you can't do anything. You can't leave the house unless it's to go to a hospital or to get food. I mean, it's completely insane. But instead of being mad at their government, which they should be, the citizens are mad at Jokovic. You know, this poor bastard. All he wants to do is play tennis. So they yell at him and not their stupid uh, government. Because they're like, well, how come this guy gets special treatment? Blah, blah, blah. Well... See, so and, and, and he's an easy target, is Djokovic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. D-J-O-K-O-V-I-C. I've heard his name here and there, uh, so I hope I'm doing it right. Anyway, he's uh, kind of a eccentric dude. He has asserted that positive emotions can purify toxic water or food. Oh, the New York Times writes, grasping their pearls, he has been dismissive toward the pandemic, mister. And he has said vaccination should not be mandated for travel. As a matter of fact, in June 2020, with tennis and other sports paused because of the coronavirus, he organized a charity tournament in his native Serbia and nearby Croatia. <laughs> Mask and social distancing were minimal, and several players, including Djokovic, later tested positive 
for the coronavirus. He's won the last three Australian Opens and nine overall. Holy shit. So he was worried that he wouldn't be able to do it. But because the Australian Open said participants would have to be fully vaccinated. But he announced on Tuesday this week he would play after receiving an exemption. Now, he did not say why he had received the exemption, and neither did Australian tennis officials. But they explained that 26 people who had applied for a vaccine waiver had their requests reviewed by panels of medical officials from both Tennis Australia and the state of Victoria, and a small number were granted at that. And his application was um, based on his recent infection because the government body on vaccinations lists several possible reasons for exemption, including a COVID-19 infection within the last six months. So he's like, well, I got it. But it was denounced, his exemption was, by many in Australia. And that's when they basically blew their top. Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who has faced criticism over the government's COVID response, announced that Djokovic's entry had been denied. So now he's lodging an appeal in the courts. I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you, dude. I'm out of here. Uh, can you imagine? And you know what? The, the the decent thing to do would have been to tell him before he gets on, like, how long is that flight from Dubai to Melbourne? That's got to be at least 12 hours, no? I mean, I know he's probably in first class, but still, the decent thing would have been tell him, hey, you know what? You, you're not coming. Okay, let us talk to... <laughs> to... Let's talk about this North Korean defector. This is fantastic. Get this. So, in no, here's the backstory. In November of 2020, a North Korean ex-gymnast climbed undetected over 10-foot-high barbed wire fences to get into South Korea. When South Korea discovered the breach after the fact, they began an extensive manhunt. Well, he was not found until the next day, half a mile south of the world's most heavily armed border. It was one of the South Korean military's most embarrassing moments in years. Well, guess what happened this week? The same dude humiliated the military again by making the trip in reverse. And yes, he climbed the same fences, crossed the demilitarized zone to return to North Korea. This is like insane. Like this, this is one time is is the chances are almost null. To do it two times, the same guy, that can't happen. It's it's not supposed to happen, but he did it. If you didn't know, the DMZ, Demilitarized Zone, is 2.5 miles wide. And it's raising obvious questions such as, why would you cross it twice? The DMZ is lined with barbed wire fences, minefields, and armed sentries. Uh, The North Koreans who defect to the South, few of them do it by crossing directly. Most people go through China. So they did... The, did the South Koreans confirm that South Korea believed the border crosser was the same former gymnast who defected in 2020? The government has not released his name, but other North Korean defectors have identified him as Kim Woo Ju, 29 years old. Those former defectors say the man had few friends and his motive for going home was still a mystery. Some lawmakers have speculated that he was a spy, but South Korean President Moon Jae-in's government said they had no, found no evidence of this. A series of lapses let him slip through the DMZ. They've already investigated it. So he was first picked up by a military security camera about 1 p.m. on Saturday as he was walking towards an area just south of the DMZ in the eastern province of Gangwang. 
that is off-limits to civilians. A warning was actually broadcast over the loudspeakers, but the military took no further action after the man seemed to change course and head for a nearby village. Six hours later, he was climbing the first tall fence on the southern edge of the DMZ. Three cameras did capture the scene, but a soldier on duty who was monitoring real-time feeds from nine cameras on a single computer screen missed it. Oh, boy. Gulag for you, bro. Sensors on the fence even triggered an alarm, but a first response team ruled that nothing was amiss. Then, hours later, in the dead of night, the military's thermal observation devices detected the man deep inside the DMZ on his way to North Korea. How about that? (laughs) How many guys are fucking in the dungeon right now is what I want to know. Of the roughly 34,000 North Koreans who have defected to South Korea, 30 have mysteriously resurfaced in the North in the past decade. Some are believed to have been blackmailed into returning. Others were fleeing criminal charges in South Korea. Still others are thought to have gone back because after growing up in North Korea's highly regimented totalitarian society, they could not adjust to the hyper-competitive life in the South. And in the South Korea, by the way, these North Korean defectors, uh, many times, you know, they're not like given a hero's welcome. They're often treated like second-class citizens. So what little is known about his life in the South kind of suggests he falls into that category. Um, Like all defectors, Kim was debriefed by the South Korean government upon arrival, said he had fled the North to escape an abusive stepfather. He weighed barely more than 110 pounds. He stood just taller than 4 foot 11. Hmm. North Korea, uh, by the way, because of the coronavirus, had placed their guards under shoot-to-kill orders. Like I said, this guy was a gymnast, so he was able to climb tall fences. Anyway, it seems like his life was tough in South Korea. He didn't have very, very many friends. He was, uh, found work at cleaning services whose employees worked mostly at night in empty office buildings, didn't socialize with people, and uh, said, fuck it. One uh, expert said that a, def- a defector's early experiences could be critical. Uh, they said it's important what first jobs they find in the South and how they are treated there. Hmm. Before And their first friends are usually fellow North Korean defectors, many of whom they meet during the government's 12-week resettlement training program. Before the pandemic, there was as many as 3,000 defectors arriving every year, but with the North's Chinese border lockdown, only 229 North Koreans came to the South in 2020, the year Kim defected. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of North Koreans suffer in the South. Nearly a quarter of the North Korean defectors are receiving government subsidies for basic necessities. That is six times the South Korean national average. Yeah, pretty crazy. You listeners know I'm fascinated with North Korea in in so many ways. Uh, Again, I'll recommend that book that I read and enjoyed called The Impossible State. And it's written by a former U.S. diplomat himself of Korean descent. And it goes into like the whole history of North Korea and South Korea. It's a great book, so check it out. And speaking of North Korea, they say they have tested a hypersonic missile. They launched a ballistic missile off their east coast on Wednesday, days after the North's leader, Kim Jong-un, said his country should focus on bolstering food production in the new year while continuing to strengthen its military power. 
South Korea's military said its analysts and U.S. officials were studying the trajectory and other flight data of the North Korean missile to learn more. Uh, The last missile test conducted by the North was on October 19, 2021. That was when they tested that newly developed submarine-launched ballistic missile, or SLBM. You guys remember that if you've been listening. Talked about it, of course, here. And uh, so this is the new one. And North Korea launched this missile hours before South Korean President Moon Jae-in attended a groundbreaking ceremony on the East Coast where engineers started work to extend the South Rail Line by 69 miles to the inter-Korean border. Okay. North Korea still out there, still fucking jacking everything up. Let's go to the first COVID update of 2022. I cannot be- fucking believe this, guys. This is, this, this is, we're starting what? This is year three going into this pretty much. Only the second year I've started the first podcast of the year with a COVID update, but it is year because remember it didn't start really in earnest. Although I was probably the first guy talking about it in the podcast world. It was probably, I started talking about it probably in late January of 2020. So take a big drink of water here. Uh, let's go to our map and case count. Uh, cases are continuing to climb. The 14-day change in cases is plus 227% for a total reported in the United States of 58,473,822 cases. However, as we know, the Omicron variant is less lethal. Deaths are not up as high. The 14-day change in deaths is only up 2%. Total reported deaths in the United States, 832,392. We are averaging more than 500,000 new cases a day. That is far more than at any previous point in the pandemic. Again, Omicron appears to cause less severe illness. Reports of new infections are rising steeply almost everywhere. Case rates are highest in northeastern states, including New York, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. Hospitalizations have increased more than 50% over the last two weeks. That is a steep incline, but so far a much lower rate of increase than cases. More than 100,000 coronavirus patients are hospitalized nationwide. Remember that figure because it's relevant to an audio clip I'm going to play later. Deaths have not yet increased. Remember, we'll never really know how many cases there really are. Because it's probably four times as many because so many people had this and never had any symptoms and never knew they had it, including myself. Now, as far as the latest updates page... The number of young children admitted to hospitals who test positive is rising fast, according to the CDC. Um, the increase was observed in children age four and younger. However, um, does it say here? Because I have read, it doesn't say here, of course. There is somewhat propaganda. Many of these children being admitted, and I think I have a quote later, they're being admitted to the hospital, right? But they're being admitted for something else, and also they have coronavirus, if that makes sense. So, And the headline admits that, because the headline is, The number of young children admitted to hospitals who test positive is rising fast, the CDC reports. Notice, they don't say admitted to hospitals because of coronavirus. So the kids are going to the hospital, and yes, they test for coronavirus and they have it. 
not necessarily there because of coronavirus. The Supreme Court is debating uh, Biden's vaccine mandate for large employers right now. And I have a clip uh, I'm going to play for you in a little bit. But they do seem skeptical that the Biden administration has the legal power to mandate that the nation's large employers require workers to be vaccinated against the coronavirus or to undergo frequent testing. Um, A federal workplace safety law, they indicated during these arguments, did not provide legal authority for the sweeping emergency measure. Now, they do seem more likely to sustain a separate requirement that healthcare workers at facilities that receive federal money be vaccinated. So there's that. The measure at issue is directed at businesses with 100 or more employees and would impose a vaccine or testing mandate on more than 84 million workers. And this rule, this mandate, was issued not by Congress, but by the Labor Department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, commonly known as OSHA. Now, they're not exactly a law enforcement agency, but under a 1970 law, they do have the authority to issue emergency rules for workplace safety, provided it can show that workers are exposed to a grave danger and that the rule is necessary. We've been over the stats many, many times the chances of you getting seriously ill or hospitalized for corona, I don't remember the exact math. It's like fucking 1%. It's nothing. Uh, so there, that's going on right now. Uh, let's see. Anything else in an update? I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. The world does surpass 300 million known virus cases. And it's funny. The New York Times finally admits it. But case counts may not mean what they used to. Oh, really? <laughs> Some of us told you that fucking a year ago, dude. No, case count. What matters is hospitalizations and deaths. That's what matters. Mm, what else? Vaccine, schmaxine. Uh, the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, they have said, uh, no, we're not going to teach. Most public schools in Chicago are closed for a third day on Friday today with no resolution in sight to the standoff between the Teachers Union and Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration. Remember, she said she was going to put them in a no-pay status. Unclear whether she actually did that or not. Uh, What else on our updates page here? The vaccine may cause a woman's period to be late. Oh, God. Don't do that. New Jersey will pay $53 million to families of veterans who died of COVID. This was among the country's deadliest coronavirus outbreaks. One in every three residents of a New Jersey nursing home for military veterans died as the virus raced through the state-run facility. The 101 residents who died in the first eight months of the pandemic uh, were living at this complex called the Menlo Park Veterans Memorial Home in Edison, New Jersey. And then a state-run veterans home in Paramus, about 40 miles north, had an equally devastating death toll of 89 people. Uh, the families have been preparing to file lawsuits that accuse a state of gross negligence, but New Jersey has settled for $53 million to the families of 119 veterans. The average payout is expected to be roughly $445,000 as part of this out-of-court settlement. And similar lawsuits, by the way, are pending against many private and public nursing homes. Um, anything else on our... Live updates. British troops, more of them, are being deployed to help besieged hospitals. The country's National Health Service is struggling with a surge in coronavirus 
patience. Uh, dozens of Hong Kong officials are sent into quarantine after a birthday party. <laughs> um, yeah, at least 20 Hong Kong lawmakers, the city's police chief, and several other senior officials. Uh, that's an embarrassing kind of fuck up for them. A leading immunologist in Italy has been put under police protection after receiving a bullet and death threats to her and her family as she advocated for vaccinating children against COVID. Hmm. North Korea said on Friday that it would not participate in the Beijing Winter Olympics because of the coronavirus and moves by, quote, hostile forces, end quote. Chancellor Olaf Scholz of Germany and state governors agreed on Friday that those who are fully vaccinated or recovered should be able to access restaurant and bars only if they can present a new negative test for the virus. Israel is reopening its skies this weekend after barring the entry of most foreign travelers in late November. Greece ordered private sector doctors on Friday to help public hospitals in four regions in northern Greece, which are struggling because of staff shortages and an increase in patients. New South Wales, which is the most populous state in Australia, reported a record 38,625 new cases on Friday and banned dancing and singing in publics and nightclubs and postponed elective surgeries till mid-February. Hmm. Okay, uh, and as far as just a few other quick hits on coronavirus, uh, right here in Paris, France, the French president used, used harsh language to issue a challenge to the unvaccinated. That's right. Faced with a surge in coronavirus cases driven by the Omicron variant, President Emmanuel Macron said Wednesday that he wanted to, quote, peace off, end quote, millions of his citizens who refused to get vaccinated by squeezing them out of the country's public spaces. Apparently, this is some kind of vulgarity in French. I don't have, do I have the, do they have the original French here? Of course, the New York Times goes to the trouble of saying, using a French word that is more vulgar. But of course, being the delicate soy boys of the New York Times, they don't print the word. That's too bad. But apparently Macron said, quote, the unvaccinated, I really want to piss them off, end quote. Uh, using a French word that is more vulgar. Yeah. So that's a big upset right now. Remember, there's a presidential election coming up. We'll see if it happens. If he gets the boot, uh, let's see. A federal judge blocked the Defense Department from punishing those Navy guys who refused the vaccine. The service members included Navy SEALs and members of the Naval Special Warfare Command. This was 35 Navy sailors who had filed suit against the Biden administration, arguing that their, quote, sincerely held religious beliefs, end quote, forbid each of them from receiving the COVID-19 vaccine for a variety of reasons. And they, they did all say this was of a, because of a Christian faith. So the judge effectively blocked the Department of the Navy from punishing them. Judge O'Connor wrote, quote, Our nation asked the men and women in our military to serve, suffer, and sacrifice, but we do not ask them to lay aside their citizenry and give up the very rights they have sworn to protect. The COVID-19 pandemic provides the government no license to abrogate those freedoms. There is no COVID-19 exception to the First Amendment. There is no military exclusion from our Constitution, end quote. Hmm. I'll see if that one holds up. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty surprised on that one. Uh, uh, you know, the military can kind of do what you want. You know, if you don't like it, you can always quit, I guess. Anything else? Oh, here's the guy I was talking about earlier. 
So there's a Johns Hopkins professor, because he has some good stats in this, and he's slamming uh, U.S. universities for, quote, anti-scientific and cruel, end quote, COVID policies that subject students to 10 days of isolation, outdoor mask mandates, and weekly PCR testing, despite death rates for their age group being just 0.001%. Yeah, that's one thousandth of 1%. Uh, he, he was writing on a substack. This is Dr. Marty McCary. And again, this is no fucking quack. He's a Johns Hopkins University medical professor, one of the finest universities in the United States. And he's blaming groupthink at higher learning institutions like Georgetown, Cornell, Princeton, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, yes, the risk of a person 15 years old to 24-year-olds dying of COVID was 0.001%, and those who did die were unvaccinated with a comorbidity. However, despite that staggering low risk, some colleges continue to require students to do all that if they test positive and remain isolated for 10 days, by the way, even after the CDC cut the isolation period in half. Uh, So he's like, this fucking doesn't make any sense. And they have a few other studies, he mentions, does Macquarie. In New England Journal of Medicine study of 136 people who developed myocarditis, two cases were critical, and one 22-year-old died. In case, because they were saying, uh, uh, they, they said because his point in saying that was that you could actually be putting people at risk by mandating vaccines because a study found as many as 1 in 1,860 men 18 to 24 years old did develop myocarditis after their second vaccine shot. Hmm. Hence the New England Journal of Medicine study of 136 people. That's pretty, you know, it's not, it's not uh, super high, but it's higher than the fucking chances of dying of COVID. And another study he talks about was found in Israel that there were no COVID deaths among double vaccinated people 16 to 29 without a booster between July 30th and October 10th. In other words, you probably don't need a booster if you're that age. But the mental health problems, he's saying, far outweigh the risk of death. Now, I have a few good clips uh, that are related to our COVID. For example, here's an eighth grade teacher at... Ponagansett Middle School in Rhode Island. A student took this uh, took this video with his phone, and uh, she's basically calling them all stupid for not wearing their mask correctly. So good old mask meltdown. Let's listen to how this goes. Here, here we go. Over eight hundred thousand people so far, and you people don't have the good common sense to stay away from each other that we ask you fifty times a day. How stupid can you be that 50 times a day the adults are saying, put your mask up and stay three feet apart? And do you think Mrs. Schofield and I just want to be here till 2.36? Is this, did we do this? This is because your peers are making stupid decisions. Just like the decision you all made to just stand next to each other, take a picture, have your masks off. You're all making bad decisions, and that's why we get stuck in stupid, boring assemblies to hear about stupid behavior you should already know not to do. No, no, no. The assemblies are stupid. You miss, you're you getting it all wrong, lady. The assemblies are stupid, and trying to get 10-year-old kids 
to wear masks and not social socialize with each other. It's always been stupid. It always will be stupid. I said it was stupid a year and a half ago. And yes, it's stupid. Now, in a twist, here's another mask meltdown. But here's a dude at a convenience store. He's mad that the person behind him is not wearing a mask. He himself is double masked. That's right. He's got a double mask going on. So you're going to hear him turn around and confront this person. So let's hear how this one goes. This would be pretty funny. Get out. Right now. Fuck, you're putting everybody else at risk. Get the fuck away from me. You have no mask on, and you're in a store where you're not supposed to be without one. That's none of your business. It is my business. No, it's not. Fuck off, you stupid cunt. Whoa. Uh, is that it? By the way, what's your name? Because you told me to get out from here. So I'm going to call the manager and I'm going to tell them. Uh, that great. You, you call the manager, but in the meantime, get six feet away you. from me, you stupid I'm bitch. I'm talking to you. Get away <laughs> from me now. No uh, mask, no, get out. No, 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 don't serve them. <laughs> Get out of my way. No mask on, you fucking cunt. <laughs> there he goes. I don't know. You know what? I'm not rooting for anybody in that one because she does sound like a total Karen. Like, oh, who's the manager? She's talking to the clerk, right? The clerk is the one who originally at the very beginning told her, like, get out because she's not wearing a mask. But also, he's a fucking wussy, too. I mean, come on, bro. Now, I alluded to this earlier when I was talking about the Supreme Court discussing things. Apparently, Wow. They don't know anything about the current state of COVID because they made a lot of very questionable statements. Let's listen to Justice Sonia Sotomayor, a.k.a. the wise Latina. And here she is talking about how many children are hospitalized with COVID right now or something like that. Let's uh, hear how this one goes. Country today than we had a year ago in January. Um, we have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. No, okay. All right, let me stop it right there. First of all, uh, the hospitals are not overwhelmed. And second of all, there's not even nothing close to 100,000 children hospitalized, especially on ventilators. I looked it up before the podcast, and I think it was between three and 4,000 children are currently hospitalized nationwide. And like I just told you, they have COVID. That's not necessarily the reason they were in the hospital. So that's a very basic fact that she completely botched. Okay, let's move on. Fuck, I'm, I was really hoping I would not do a third year of talking about the coronavirus, but it uh, sounds like it's not going away anytime soon. Let's keep going, though. Let's go to Germany and talk about their marijuana bonanza coming up because two of three parties in Germany's new governing coalition, remember they just had that election, support legalization of marijuana. And they uh, are already trying to be prepared. They've got startups, uh, building processors, uh, testing, all kinds of shit like that. Because Germany's new government announced that it would legalize recreational cannabis for adults in its coalition contract presented in October. So no bill or official schedule for that law exists yet. 
experts believe one will be passed within the next two years. Now, medical marijuana is legal in Germany, and small quantities of the drug for personal use were decriminalized years ago, but now companies are already getting ready to make sure they are ready to supply a recreational market. Um, remember, recreational marijuana is legal in a number of U.S. states and in a few countries, including Canada, and the first European Union country to legalize marijuana completely, as I talked about a few weeks ago, is, you guys remember, you've been listening, Malta. Um, they quoted a medical doctor and a Green member of Parliament named Kirsten Kappert Gonther, who said in an email, quote, Anyone who would prefer to consume a hash cookie instead of an after-work beer in the future should be able to make that decision and stay on legal grounds. End quote. As you guys know, all impressions are spot on, as is that one. So several other EU nations are coming around to legalization uh, as we speak. But yeah, they're popping it up. A recent study estimated that legalized cannabis could generate nearly 5 billion euro annually. Now you got to take that with a huge grain of salt because remember they had all kinds of rose-colored expectations for revenue in the U.S. too. And a lot of those did not come to pass because of all the illegal marijuana that was still going on. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, let's go to Haiti, where the United States has charged a suspect in the assassination of Haiti's president. You guys remember that one? And that is a former Colombian commando. He's the first guy to face U.S. prosecution in the killing of Jovenel Moisi, the president of Haiti, after agents flew him to Miami from Panama. And uh, this guy's name is Mario Palacios, who's detained in an airport in Panama and flown there to Miami after previously agreeing to cooperate with U.S. law enforcement. He appeared before a federal judge this week and was charged with conspiring to kidnap or kill outside the U.S. Palacios is 43. He was among two dozen retired members of Colombian military special forces who traveled to Haiti between May and June as private security contractors hired by a Miami-based firm called CTU Security. And once in Haiti, their mission gradually changed from providing protection to local dignitaries to storming the presidential residence in an operation to kill President Moisi. Uh, boy, that's an evolution. Remember, Moisi was assassinated on July 7th in his bedroom by assassins who spoke Spanish according to his wife, Martine Moisi, who was injured in the attack. Remember, we still don't know who the ultimate mastermind of the plot is. They're hoping that Palacios and some of the other guys shed light on that. But it is a pretty fucking crazy story. And meantime, the current Haitian prime minister survived an assassination attempt. You guys see this on social media? Yeah, it showed you hear the gunshots and everything. Gunman unsuccessfully attempted to assassinate Prime Minister Ariel Henry, or Henri, of Haiti during an event on Saturday commemorating the Caribbean country's independence. The statement said, quote, bandits and terrorists, end quote, had tried to shoot the Prime Minister at a church in the northern city of Gonavai, where the ceremony marking the 218th anniversary of independence was taking place. Yeah, you could see video footage on social media showing Henry and his entourage running to the vehicles as an armed group began shooting. 
The shooting did kill one person and injured two more. Uh, before this happened, a local crime boss had made threats against Mr. Henry in local media. If you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know that criminal gangs' hold on Haiti has strengthened. So, Henry was sworn in as prime minister barely two weeks after Moise's killing at the hand of suspected mercenaries. The country has yet to set a date to elect Moise's successor. Uh, let's go to South Africa. A fire pretty much gutted South Africa's parliament buildings, and it burned for a while. And you, Again, you probably saw this on social media. Well, they have a suspect in court, and they're trying to figure out whether Blaze was an act of sabotage, negligence, or a simple crime of opportunity. It does sound like it's arson when I did the latest updates. But the central suspect, who is a, as the New York Times calls him, quote, a jobless man, hard on his luck, end quote, or vagrant, as we like to say here, 49-year-old Zandile Christmas Mafi. Yeah, his middle name's Christmas. He's 49 years old. He liked to talk politics with friends. He has been charged with arson, theft, housebreaking, and possession of explosives. Police say they spotted and arrested him at the Parliament Complex in Cape Town shortly after the fire was reported on Sunday. He was also caught with stolen laptops, documents, and crockery. No, not crockery. <laughs> I haven't, that's a good old-timey word. I haven't heard that in a long time. Oh, by the way, he's also charged with breaking state security laws because Parliament buildings are a site of national strategic importance. So these are historic buildings that house the National Assembly and the offices of lawmakers. Yeah. So it's very it's caused a lot of people to be on edge because remember last year in July when South Africa had all those riots and that resulted in the deaths those riots did of more than 300 people. So, oh, here we go. The Minister of Transport, he's on my side. And a senior member of the African National Congress, the ANC, said he tweeted out, quote, why would a vagrant wake up and burn down parliament, end quote. But he put vagrant in quotes, see? So he believes, um, yeah, he's, he's implying that it was not a vagrant. Like it was a profession, it was a hit job. So they said, and the Speaker of the Parliament said she believed the fire was no accident. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of the fire. This fire was huge. Like, it just gutted the entire place, and these buildings are, like, beautiful old buildings. I think I read somewhere else that they were built in, like, the 18, late 1800s, something like that. Oh, yeah, here we go. The fire decimated the interior of a complex made up of three conjoined buildings built between the 1880s and expanded more than a century later. More than 60 firefighters battled the blaze. Oh, that doesn't seem like that many, to be honest with you. A, fire, a place that important, anyway. Okay, what else I got? Well, guys, I had to cover it, and, I, and don't say I didn't warn you. Do not say I didn't warn you. Remember the several times before the end of the year, and I said January 6th was going to be the most over-the-top, ridiculous thing ever. The commemoration. And yes, it surpassed even my expectations. Oh, yeah, it was great. I didn't, I didn't pay too much attention because... And again, I just have to say for those new, maybe listening to the podcast for the first time, yes, I believe it was very serious. It was a riot. Those were criminals beating on the police officers. Every single one of them should be put in jail. 
They're no better than Antifa. But the idea that the QAnon shaman, the guy with the horns on his head, was going to seize power, it was absurd. It always was absurd. Because that's what it is. That's what, that's what a coup is. A coup is something like, you know, where fucking people take over. And that's why I mock it so much by saying, like, ah, I hear the QAnon shaman was going to be a secretary of state and baked Alaska was going to be secretary of defense. I mean, he was never going to do that. It was over in a few hours. It was, it's just, but everybody's like, but it was on our hall of democracy, BK. Our sacred democracy, BK. And I'm like, oh, you mean the building where Nancy Pelosi gets all her corrupt stock tips and the, the bags of cash are handed over by the lobbyists? Yeah. Uh, such a such a sacred hall of democracy. Excuse me if I don't have. Yes, it's a beautiful building itself. What happens inside the building is nauseating to me. But it is a serious thing. I'm not. I'm saying that. But again, I just. It's like the meat. I saw videos over the over the week of people fucking charging at the White House. Remember when Trump was in office and their the Antifa was like charging at the White House and fighting the cops and tearing down barricades? Pretty fucking silly. The only difference is they didn't make it into the White House. Nobody called that an insurrection or an attempted coup. Of course they did. The media, the media, I guarantee most of them don't even remember how serious that was. Remember they had to like evacuate Trump to like a bunker and they were like ridiculing and the same people who were like our thicker democracy are ridiculing Trump going, ha ha, orange man has to go hide in a bunker. Nobody called that a coup. But yes, we did have the January 6th one year and once again, they fucking went way over the top. The media was beside themselves. Uh, Biden delivered a bracing speech condemning former President Donald Trump for holding, quote, a dagger at the throat of America, end quote. And it's funny, the New York Times got called out because uh, they, they said Republicans, uh, quote, were conspicuous by their absent, end quote. Well, the, a lot of the Republicans were at a funeral for one of their colleagues. That's why they weren't there. Just so happened to be on the same day. And it was a former senator. I can't remember the guy's name, but it was a former Republican senator, longtime senator who passed away. So a lot of them were there. Uh, anyway, you guys all know what happened on January 6th. I'm not going to belabor that point. Um, but I do have a few clips for you that were particularly good. First of all, this solemn occasion where so much death occurred. <laughs> How better to mark that within it? with a song sung by Hamilton cast members. That's right. Speaker Pelosi introduces Lynn Manuel. Um, that's his Twitter handle. What's his fucking real name? The Hamilton guy? I don't remember. But here she is introduced. You'll hear his name in a second. Here's Nancy Pelosi introducing him to do a song number. Uh, that's how serious it was. We're privileged to have a contribution from one of the great creative talents of our time, Lynn Manuel. Miranda. Lynn Manuel Miranda. May his beautiful words be an inspiration to us. Among the words he said and in the music, we'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you mm. and we'll give the world to you. Lynn Manuel and his father and the, the uh, Hamilton singers whom we'll hear from said that they were all very honored to be asked to participate today. No mask, by the way. I call your attention to... A new year brings hope for the future, new energy to face the tasks ahead of us, and a renewed promise to strengthen the foundations of our democracy. We are all stewards of the American experiment. Okay, okay. I, I can't. I can't fucking listen to this anymore. 
You know, the, the, the sacred democracy only lasts as long as Democrats are in power. Because if they get voted out, then, of course, it's fucking, uh, it's a horrible dictatorship, authoritarianism, all that stuff. It's only a sacred democracy as long as Nancy Pelosi's there. Then we had some fucking over-the-top media, of course. Here's some kook. Oh, this is David Brinkley, presidential historian. Here he is talking about January 6th is kind of like the Holocaust, if you think about it. So this Eisenhower during World War II made sure all the Holocaust camps were filmed. So we've got the film footage. So now we're combating conspiracy theorists, deniers, and some um, and, you know, trumpeteers. But the, my worry is what do we call this and make sure we, we honor this day, this dark stained day every year. So we've got to keep saying January 6th. I think it is like December 7th, Pearl Harbor. And it is like the 9-11. <laughs> okay. And you know what the funny thing? So as he's sitting there talking, as he's talking, he's they're, they're showing video of guys in the hall where the representatives usually are. And there's like four dudes in there and they're just like wandering around. They're not like breaking anything they're just like kind of walking slowly around pretty funny here once again is nancy pelosi again here she is dedicating a moment of silence and you're going i'm going to let you think about what is wrong with this statement let me give you a hint she's dedicating a moment of silence to quote our fallen heroes of that day let's listen to nancy Pelosi. see if you can uh, hear what i'm let talking about acknowledge today as i conclude i want to acknowledge our fallen heroes of that day. U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Howard Livingood, Metropolitan Officer Jeffrey Smith, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Billy Evans of a later assault. <laughs> now I ask all members okay. to rise. Okay, let me stop her there. Uh, first of all, we know Brian Sicknick died of natural causes, according to the New York Times and according to the Medical Examiner. And it was like the day after, like he had a stroke. Howard Liebengood and Jeffrey Smith, I'm not familiar, but I believe they were two of the guys who committed suicide sometime after the actual events. And then Billy Evans, as she at least pointed out, mumbling there at the end. If you guys remember that name, I covered it on the year in review. Billy Evans was the Capitol Police officer who was fucking mowed down by that Farrakhan and BLM supporter in his car. Remember that at the perimeter? That was actually the only direct murder of a Capitol Police officer by anyone was Billy Evans. And I guarantee you, not one in 100 people know that fact. If you say, hey, who's the Capitol Police officer who actually died at the hands of a fanatic? The only correct answer is Billy Evans. But it's funny that she lumped him in with the other guys because he wasn't even... Didn't even happen on January 6th. And then here's more over the top. Here's Vice President hapless, bumbling, stumbling, stuttering Kamala Harris. Let's listen to her compare stuff. dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy... Not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. Mm, thousands of people died. September 11th, 2001. Mm, thousands of people died there. And too. January 6th, 
2021. Uh, no, nothing. Certainly. I got nothing. Yep, there you go. Kamala Harris, just like 9-11. You guys thought I was exaggerating, remember? And then uh, let's see. Here is um, a teacher talking about how she wants people to stop comparing the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020 that killed dozens of people, uh, caused billions of dollars in damages, were the most extensive riots in U.S. history, burned down a police station, uh, had a federal courthouse under siege for months, hundreds and hundreds of police officers injured. Nobody gives a fuck about them, though. She doesn't want you to compare those activities to what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. Let's hear how this Stop comparing protests that have occurred because people are being murdered for the color of their skin to a white supremacist inciting a violent riot on our nation's capital, which was followed through by literal Nazis and terrorists because he didn't literal. win an election. And if you are a school administrator who is not allowing your educators to speak about this with your students, or if you're an educator who's not talking about it because you are too uncomfortable, you are all complicit in white supremacy. <laughs> You are all complicit in white supremacy, man. There, everything, I, everything they don't like is white supremacy. It's amazing. There are plenty of non-white people there, by the way, and uh, pretty sure white supremacy didn't have anything to do. But who cares? The narrative set it will now forever be a white supremacist attack. Probably in like twenty years, they're gonna be telling tales of how uh, KKK members in hoods and torches and pitchforks galloped on horses through the halls of the Capitol. And finally, let's finish our January 6th coverage with him, uh, the the man himself, Sleepy Joe Biden, talking about the orange man. And he was very stern. Plainly about what happened in 2020. Even before the first ballot was cast, the former president was preemptively sowing doubt about the election results. <clears throat> he built his lie over months. Clear it up, Joe. Wasn't based on any facts. He was just looking for an excuse, a pretext, to cover for the truth. He's not just a former president. He's a defeated former president. Ha! <laughs> Take that, Drumpf. Defeated by a margin of over 7 million of your votes in a full and free and fair election. There is simply zero proof. The election results are inaccurate. Okay, let me stop him there. He is right about that, by the way. And uh, and that'll segue into my next story, where they did some research on podcasts before the Capitol riots. They studied 1,500 episodes of various podcasts. And they said that this was from the Brookings Institution. This is 1,500 episodes from, the 20, from 20 of the most popular political podcasts. And they said among episodes released between the election and January 6th riot, about half contained election misinformation, according to the analysis. In some weeks, 60% of episodes mentioned the election fraud conspiracy theories tracked by Brookings. What were those theories? The theories included false claims that software glitches interfered with the count, that fake ballots were used, and that voting machines run by Dominion voting systems were rigged to help Democrats. Yep. And of course, if you guys were listening to this podcast two days after the election, I was one of the very few who told you what, not what you wanted to hear, but I told you the truth and that Trump had lost. And I still remember that day because I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages 
Oh, BK, you fucking big lib. You're a big lib. Don't you know about the secret server in Germany that the U.S. Army just did a raid on where the real vote count was stored, BK, you big fucking lefty? Yeah, I got several hundred messages like that. And again, for those of you new here, maybe I have new members coming in to check out the AFSOC stuff. I'm not here to tell you uh, nonsense and conspiracy theories. I tell you the truth. If I somehow get something wrong, I always correct it, but I can count literally on one hand how many times I've gotten something wrong. But I'm always more than happy to correct the record, including with AFSOC, by the way. If anybody from AFSOC wants to write me a point-by-point rebuttal of that memo, including the dates, and you can back it up with the candidate's service records, I'll be happy to put that out. I'll be happy to do it. And don't make those service records disappear, because that's what I heard happen to some of those ranger chicks going through ranger school. I heard some people were asking for records, and boom! Oh, we don't have any records of them attending the school, so we know nothing what help they got. Yeah, don't let that happen. Because that's just an admission of guilt again. So guys, I always strive to be correct. I always strive to tell you the truth, even though it's not what you want to hear. And I know some of you, I appreciate the messages I've gotten where people are like, dude, you've made me so mad sometimes, but I appreciate you telling the truth and giving it to me straight. And I appreciate those messages more than any other. So I thank you guys for that. Let's keep going. Let's go to the Philadelphia house fire. Sad story. It, uh, a house, a row house kind of complex, uh, burst out in Philadelphia, left 12 dead, including eight children. This is one of the deadliest residential fires in the country in recent years. Um, Mayor Jim Kenny is the son of a firefighter. He said this is without a doubt one of the most tragic days in the city's history. Just really bad. They said they don't yet know the cause of the fire. They're still investigating it. As of, I have not opened a new tab to um, check. So I don't know if they've found something. I, I think, oh, I did see something where they're investigating perhaps a child playing with a lighter. If that's true, God, that'd be horrible. Some of the other deadliest residential fires in country's recent history include a 2019 fire that killed five children at a daycare center in Erie, PA and a 2018 fire at an apartment building in Chicago that left 10 children dead. Um, and this was a presumably low income because it belonged to the Philadelphia Housing Authority. Yeah, that's a fucking bummer, dude. What else? Let's keep going here. Oh, let's talk about my girl, Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos fucking CEO. She has been found guilty of four of 11 of charges of fraud. Elizabeth Holmes is the founder of the failed blood testing startup Theranos. She's 37 years old now. And remember, you guys have to go back. And she this was the most hyped chick ever in Silicon Valley. She was so fucking hyped. But a jury of eight men and four women took 50 hours to reach a verdict, convicting her of three counts of wire fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. She was found not guilty on four other counts and the jury was unable to reach a verdict of three counts which were set aside for later. Each count carries a maximum of 20 years in prison, terms that are likely to be served concurrently. She is expected to appeal. Um, The three hung charges... The judge said he planned to declare a mistrial on those charges, which the government could choose to retry. I bet they don't. 
Uh, the parties agreed that she would not be taken into custody right away, but few technology executives are charged with fraud and even fewer are convicted. If sentenced to prison, Holmes would be the most notable female executive to serve time since Martha Stewart did in 2004 after lying to investigators about a stock sale. And uh, again, uh, I recommend that book, uh, Bad Blood. Or you could go on HBO and watch the movie, uh, the documentary called The Inventor. Uh, basically, Bad Blood, the guy who wrote Bad Blood is in the documentary. But if you want a real no-shit detailed analysis, read Bad Blood. And she snookered a lot of smart dudes because she was young and blonde. And there's <laughs> that's the end of the line. Including uh, Mad Dog Mattis. Former commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps snookered him, snookered former Secretary of State George Shultz, who was who had dealt with like dictators his whole life. I mean, she snookered like a lot of powerful, powerful men. Because why? She was young and cute, and she wasn't even really cute, but to them, she was cute. She was blonde. That was good enough. All right, first couple business stories, and full disclosure, I have investments in both of these companies. Tesla reports an 87% increase in 2021 deliveries. Yeah, their stock went up like 12% in one day. Tesla said they delivered 936,000 cars in 2021. Again, this is despite the computer chip shortage that has disrupted auto production around the world. Oh, and just tangentially, uh, guys, Ford has had a killer run. Go look at their stock chart. Again, I'm also invested in them. But yeah, killer run. In the fourth quarter alone, the company delivered more than 308,000 vehicles. The overwhelming share were of the Model 3 sedan and Model Y hatchback. Tesla continues to dominate the electric vehicle space. That should erode one day, but so far they're on a tear. Meanwhile, another business is Apple becomes the first company to hit a $3 trillion market value. If you guys don't know, a market value is the number of shares that a company has for trading. So, you know, millions and millions of shares multiplied by the current stock price. That's also known as the market cap or market capitalization. So that is your market value, your market cap. And their stock has also been on a tear. Hence, they hit $3 trillion in market cap, which is pretty fucking insane considering they hit... $1 trillion in market cap in 2018, and $2 trillion in market cap in 2020. Pretty wild. That is more than Walmart, Disney, Netflix, Nike, ExxonMobil, Coca-Cola, Comcast, Morgan Stanley, McDonald's, AT&T, Goldman Sachs, Boeing, IBM, and Ford combined. Talk about a juggernaut. Started in a garage in 1976. Uh, it hit $3 trillion market cap when its stock briefly hit $182.86 a share. Wow. Such a, such a crazy, uh, crazy run. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a big chunk in Apple, and I'm always uh, one of the best investments I ever did, of course, uh, I, I know. I should have put it all in Dogecoin, right? Yeah. Fuck you guys and your crypto. <laughs> Again, for those of you who knew, I do have a little bit of crypto just out of curiosity. I don't look at it as a serious investment. How about this headline? Vagrant masturbates near woman outside Penn Station slashes her husband. Yeah. 
The vagrant slashed another man who confronted him for pleasuring himself in front of his wife, not the vagrant's wife, his wife. The unidentified 21-year-old subsect was pleasuring himself near the married couple. The guy says something, and he friggin' slashed the man in the hand with a razor. Apparently, it was pretty minor. The victim refused medical attention. Still, telling you guys, you got to be aware. If you're going to say something to a vagrant, just fucking get ready to bounce. How about this? Let's go to Iraq. Second drone strike in two days attempted on the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq. Yeah, they foiled it. These Both of these attacks involved two fixed-wing drones rigged with explosives. The drones were shot down by air defenses as they approached Al-Assad Air Base, located in the western Al-Anbar province. And then the second attempt was made at a coalition base housing U.S. troops near Baghdad International Airport, fondly known as BIOP. That was also foiled by air defenses. Hmm. The first drone strike marked the second anniversary of the assassination of Iranian head terrorist, General, and Quds Forces leader, Qasem Soleimani. As remember him. He's the chief Iranian terrorist who was killed in a drone strike ordered by former President Donald Trump near Baghdad International Airport in 2020. Very good. Oh, I mentioned crypto a moment ago. Crypto scammers took a record $14 billion in 2021. <laughs> this is the big problem right here. Yeah, Losses from crypto-related crime rose 79% from the year 2020. Cryptocurrency theft increased 516% from 2020. Yeah. Um, this is in large part to the rise of what they call decentralized finance platforms, or DeFi. I don't pretend to know what that is. Is that like, does that mean like uh, Coinbase and like crypto exchanges? I'm not sure what that means. Scamming was the greatest form of cryptocurrency-based crime in 2021, followed by theft. And here we go. What is what? What is DeFi? DeFi is a rapidly growing sector of the crypto market that aims to cut out middlemen, such as banks, from traditional financial transactions, like securing a loan. So how it works is banks and lawyers are replaced by a programmable piece of code called a smart contract. This contract is written on a public blockchain like Ethereum or Solana, and it executes when current conditions are met, negating the need for a central intermediary. DeFi transaction volume grew 912% in 2021. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, you guys, because a lot of it is technical jargon. It's well beyond me. Bottom line is, crypto continues to be... Uh, you can win big, and you can lose big. That's why I, as a man in his 40s, am not going to fucking dump a bunch of money into Shiba coin or Doge coin or fucking cum rocket. <laughs> still, that, that's an actual coin name. You guys, if you didn't know, it's my favorite coin name, cum rocket. It's spelled just like that. C U M. Yeah. It's good stuff. Cum rocket. Yeah. You know, do you, you, why don't you, here's, here's a tip. I just thought of this. If you're about ready to throw down 10 grand on in investment, say it out loud. See how it rolls off the tongue, right? For example, I'm going to say, here we go. I'm going to try it, right? 
you know what? I'm going to invest $10,000 in Apple. Hmm, sounds pretty reasonable. Now let me try another one. I'm going to invest $10,000 in Cumrocket, which is a crypto coin. Does that sound fucking stupid to you at all? I'm just saying, you guys, come on. I'm your financial advisor. I want everybody to grow wealthy, but it takes time. Don't look for the overnight fucking hot hand. I'm telling told you this a hundred times. If you are steady and you invest in blue chip stocks and you invest in index funds, I know it's very, very boring. I know that you are going to become rich if you put if you're frugal reasonably. I'm not telling you to live like a fucking monk. If you're frugal, drive a used car, you know, take care of yourself. Don't eat out all the time. Don't blow money on tons of Coke every weekend. Put as much money away as possible. Put it in the market, especially starting at a young age, which is key. You will be a millionaire. It's a shirt. Don't don't try to become rich overnight. And two, like I told you last year during the meme stock craze, don't chase trends. Because the second the 7-Eleven clerk is talking about fucking GameStop stock, it's too late. Okay? Don't get greedy. What else? Let's go to the, this story kind of flew under the radar. You guys have heard of the Dakar Rally, right? Yeah, the famous uh, 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 automobile race. Well, French prosecutors have opened a terrorism investigation into a blast in Saudi Arabia that badly wounded a French driver in the Dakar Rally. Yeah. The explosion damaged a support vehicle for the Soda Cars racing team as it left a hotel in Jeddah last year. So this isn't even in the race. This is like, this is in a hotel. This is in the city. The driver was Philippe Boutron. He suffered serious leg injuries. He was later repatriated to France and he was placed inside a medically induced coma. This is serious. Saudi police said that a preliminary investigation in the explosion had found that there was, quote, no criminal suspicion, end quote. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. I guess it's, it's, it could be like a piece of machinery gone bad or a gas tank of some kind. But still, officers have not yet ruled out a malicious act, however. Remember, the Dakar rally started in 1978 as a race from Paris to the Senegalese capital, has been held in Saudi Arabia since 2020 for safety reasons. Yeah, so two days before the start of the event's first stage, a support vehicle belonging to soda cars was brought to a sudden halt by a sudden explosion. Um, and outside the Donatello Hotel near Jeddah's International Airport, the blast ripped through the floor of the vehicle, which then caught fire. Boutron was injured. But the other five French citizens traveling with him were uh, unharmed. Hmm. Anything else about this? French anti-terrorism prosecutors, meanwhile, announced that they had opened a preliminary investigation into, quote, multiple attempted killings in connection with a terrorist group, end quote, without providing further details. Hmm. In November of 2020, several people were wounded when a bomb exploded at a Remembrance Day ceremony organized by the French consulate in Jeddah also. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I'll keep an eye on that one. Haven't, uh, I hadn't heard about that until I was prepping for the podcast. How about this story? A Paraguayan soldier has died after he was attacked by 
a deer in the gardens of the country's presidential palace. Sergeant Victor Asasi, 42 years old, died as a result of piercing injuries caused by the deer's antlers. This was a non-native deer. It was a gift to the presidential palace near the capital of Asuncion. Um, the deer was usually kept in a separate area with other wild animals, which were not meant to come into contact with people. Closed circuit television captured the moment when the soldier approached the deer before being attacked. Yeah, don't fucking do that. So on the security camera, some guy's quoted as saying, you can see the sergeant enter the sector where these animals are, and he makes a movement with his hand that provoked the deer's reaction. So he's probably going like, hey, buddy, buddy, how you doing? This fucking deer just plunged its antlers into his chest. The animal was an axis deer from India. It is one of many animals that are kept at the gardens of President Mario Abdo Benitez's official residence. Hmm. Crazy, dude. Death by deer. How about that one? Okay. How about this? Uh, how about the crazy snowstorm on I-95 in Virginia? It has finally been cleared after motorists spent over 20 hours stranded in their cars. Let me tell you, my parents live out there, uh, and, you know, uh, what, Quantico is out there, been, been to a few times. That, on a good day, is a nightmare area. But, uh, yeah, people spent, some people spent more than 27 hours trapped on I-95 when Storm Frida dumped more than a foot of snow and closed 55 miles of the freeway. Yep. Their travelers were not getting their calls answered. Emergency personnel were not coming to the rescue. Um, as a matter of fact, former vice presidential candidate and current Virginia State Senator Tim Kaine said he was one of the people stuck in the storm. The storm piled 7 to 10 inches of snow on the United States East Coast Main North-South Highway, if you're not familiar with the uh, the freeway. And I think it had something to do with some semi-trucks also collided, like five or six, and that was a huge fucking cluster. Something like that. But yeah, that was crazy. And the funny thing, you know, a lot of people were, a lot of the resistance on social media and Twitter were screaming about uh, the newly elected governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. Like, where is Youngkin? Where is he? What is he doing? See, he's a bum. Well, the problem is that Glenn Youngkin is not going to be sworn into office until January 15th. So a lot of these people, had, it's still uh, Ralph Blackface Northrum is still governor. I know. Yeah, it's the second time I've called somebody blackface. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good liberals who loved to wear blackface back then. I don't know what to tell you guys. I'm sorry. Couldn't be me. That's all I'm saying. And by the way, there is going to be no more snow in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. Significant snowfall they're looking at. This is a sweeping weather system. It's already snowing there as I record this podcast. Uh, snow is expected to fall at a rate of at least an inch per hour. New York City could see up to five inches of snow and up to seven inches could fall on Long Island. So if you guys are out there, just get home. Don't chance it. Uh, let's see here. A lot of you guys sent me this one. I appreciate it. You remember the, uh, everybody remembers the story about the ex reality star who made $200,000 selling her farts in jars that she would mail to her friends. Everybody knows that, right? That was Steph Mato, 31 years old from Connecticut. Well, 
She used to star in the show 90 Day Fiance. That's why they call her X-Reality Star. Well, she was rushed to the ER with heart attack symptoms. Yeah. She would... She- she would charge a thousand fucking dollars for a fart in a jar and made two hundred grand. Dude, what kind of incel are you to spend a thousand dollars on a fart in a jar? I mean, I, you guys know I'm against any spending money on some chick on the internet. Don't spend money on OnlyFans. Don't spend money on fucking these IG hoes. Don't be a simp, guys. Come on. How many times have I asked you to do this? Just don't be a simp. Don't send strange women who aren't going to blow you free money on the internet. Please. Yeah, at least go down to the bar. At least try in real life to blow some money on some drinks. I mean, at least that's a time-honored masculine tradition. I mean, you're just simping away. I No simping in 2022. I've had it. I don't want it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want you guys doing it. This is your Uncle BK talking now. Don't let me down. So anyway, Mato had these uh, uh, symptoms. She was living off of mostly beans and eggs and later added protein shakes to the mix after discovering that that made her farts smell worse. Well, she was rushed to the ER. The doctors told her she was experiencing very intense gas pains. She was advised to change her diet, which sadly might end her business. I doubt that's going to end her business. Dude, if I made $200,000 selling farts in a jar to flocks of lonely housewives, <laughs> yeah, I might take a break. I'm going to get right fucking back to that. I'll tell you that right now. What else do I have? How about a few uh, audio clips? You guys know I love those. Hey, there weren't too many to start the year, but uh, you know we all have a few good ones here from time to time. Uh, let's do, sorry, the internet opens these pages up fucking slow. Let's talk about this. Okay. So I'm going to describe this guy first. It's a, it's a male presenting man. Looks like a dude with a beard, nose piercing, multiple facial piercings, a giant hole below his lower lip. And his tongue appears to be split in two down the middle, much like a lizard. And he has a colored mohawk. Uh, let's listen to what he has question to say. Question for the uh, Alphabet Mafia. If you're not a member of the LGBTQIA community and you're somehow straight and found me, one, how? And two, just keep scrolling. No. So I am Apo Gender. My pronouns are he, they. Apo. And as you can tell, I am mask presenting. So uh, my question is this. I always get he, 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 he. I almost never get the they. Because I'm mask presenting and I do appear more masculine, does that just negate the they? Yes. I understand that he <laughs> is my main pronoun, Correct. but sometimes it's nice to you know hear the they portion of the pronoun. That just never happens because I appear more masculine. So I just don't know if people think it just negates the fact that the they part is there just because I'm built like a bear. Yes, he is built. Uh, sir, I only have I only have one question for you. You had a question for us. I have a question for you. Do you enjoy penis, or do you not enjoy penis? That's all I care about. That's all you have to say. The patented BK two gender system enjoys penis, does not enjoy penis. It applies in every single case. It negates the need for all these pronouns: the apo gender, the zay gender, the z gender, whatever gender. 
enjoys penis, does not enjoy penis. Sir, do you enjoy penis? No? Then you don't enjoy penis. That's one gender. It's very simple, guys. Uh, this one is good, too. Okay, in this video, there is going to be two people. One looks like uh, he presents outwardly. He looks like a normal dude. The other one appears to be a female-to-male trans person, I think, who has had some sort of top surgery because there are bandages and scars on their top. Okay? So now these two are making a video talking about what gender they were assigned to. I, I don't know. I'm just going to play it and let you figure I it out. I was assigned male at birth. I was assigned female at birth. My pronouns are he, him. My pronouns are he, him. It's not okay to ask me what's in my pants. It's not okay to ask me what's in my pants. It is okay for me to not wear a shirt. It's okay for me to not wear a shirt. I'm human. I'm human. We, we are, are both men. men. <laughs> okay. Very good. They are both men. Damn you. I will say that is probably the most, uh, me, let me, how can I say this? That's probably the most, um, uh, conforming to their new gender role, transgender person that I've seen. Um, I think generally the women who present as men look more like men than men who try to be women, try to present as women look like women, if that makes sense. Because it's like a devil's advocate, especially for the dudes, right? You, there are no good choices, which is why I encourage all transgender people, like, say, hey, call yourself what you want, wear whatever you want, present however you want, don't cut off your genitals. That's just my personal opinion. You do what you want, as long as you pay for yourself, this is America, whatever. But it's no, really no good answer, because to, for a man, for a biological male who wants to become transgender... You unless you start taking those hormones very very early in life, you're always going to look like a male. But you can't give a eight year old male female hormones. I mean, one they might change their mind later, and right now it's illegal. I'm pretty sure in many states you can't do that, and you definitely can't have a, a sexual reassignment surgery. I don't know about I don't know about the legalities of the hormone. I think in some states you can, but it's a lot. And again, you know, you shouldn't do that before you have puberty anyway. You don't know what you are yet, kid. Okay? Just saying. Wait till you're older, but the downside of waiting till you're older till you really figure out what you think you are in your head, the downside is if you're a male, you're you're always gonna look like a male. I and mean, we've seen fucking guys who are transgender women now, and you can usually tell. Uh, quickly, right before the podcast, Sidney Poitier, the legendary actor, has died at the age of 94, because you guys all know Sidney Poitier. He was the famous actor who starred in the iconic role in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That was when a white woman brought her black boyfriend home to her white family. And he was in uh, many, many, many movies. He was from the Bahamas, which I actually did not know. The Bahamas Deputy Prime Minister tweeted out, he's one of the ones who uh, confirmed the death. And Sidney Poitier was a, uh, a fine actor. He moved to New York City at age 16 after living in the Bahamas for several years with his family. And uh, he was also awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. And he was just in a lot of... Uh, old-timey famous movies, and, and he was up to... Wasn't he... He was also in um, 
several television shows as well. And it's one of, he's one of those guys that I could recognize in a million movies, and I can't even come to any of none of them come to my head. But he was, he's been around a long time when he was in a shitload of movies. Okay, couple of uh, crazy mom stories here. Mother with Munchausen's by proxy syndrome is arrested for forcing her son, eight years old, to undergo unnecessary medical procedures, including having his appendix removed. Christine Maxwell, 48, from Pennsylvania, is charged with aggravated assault, simple assault, endangering the welfare of children, and theft by deception. All those procedures were performed despite doctors assuring Maxwell that her son was healthy. Well, why the hell were you doing the procedures then, Doc? You have a Hippocratic oath to uphold, don't you? Wow. Yeah, if you didn't know, Munchausen's by proxy is a condition where an adult will invent medical conditions for his or her child so they can get attention. If it's just Munchausen syndrome, you're doing it to yourself. If it's Munchausen's by proxy, you're doing it to somebody else, most often a child. Yep, uh, child services kind of got on the case. Uh, who fucking removed this kid's appendix and adenoids and who gave him a colonoscopy? Uh, anything about these doctors? No. They don't say anything about the doctors. I mean, the doctors should be charged, in my opinion. How about this one? Another one. 42-year-old Kelly Turner. She has been charged with murdering her 7-year-old daughter after pretending she was terminally ill to raise thousands of dollars from Make-A-Wish Foundation. She has accepted a deal and pleads guilty to causing her death by abuse. This is a Colorado mother. God. This is uh, the murder of her seven-year-old daughter, Olivia Grant. And um, let me see here. Basically, she swindled Medicaid, hospitals, and charities, including the Make-A-Wish Foundation, out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Olivia was originally thought to have died of her illnesses after Turner claimed the little girl suffered from a rare and fatal disease, as well as seizures, autism, several allergies, and intestinal failure. But doctors became suspicious after Turner allegedly began claiming that her other daughter also had medical problems. So they started looking into it, and then they got wind that she actually fucking killed the first daughter. <laughs> fucking evil. So she tried, to, she tried to do it to both of her daughters. Sorry, guys, I'm reading this out of the Daily Mail. It's kind of a long-winded uh, story here. Hmm. Her body, the original kid, her body was exhumed, and an autopsy was conducted as part of the investigation, which found no physical evidence of an intestinal illness or other conditions that Turner claimed the girl had suffered from and died from. Yeah, I wonder how... Did they say they found out she killed her? Um, no, it doesn't say, uh, of course you guys know the most famous, uh, disorder that the, the Munchausen's by proxy, it was made famous by that gypsy Rose Blanchard case in 2015. Uh, there's a great documentary about it in which Dee Dee Blanchard claimed her daughter, gypsy Rose suffered from leukemia and kept her confined to a wheelchair despite not actually being ill. Fucking psycho, dude. 
All right. Let's see here. A couple of uh, woke district attorney stories. I keep telling you guys about these menaces and you keep electing them. Left-wing Beverly Hills has voted to recall Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascone for eliminating bail and dropping charges for many criminals after Beverly Hills is rocked by robberies, including that home invasion I talked about a couple weeks ago where Jacqueline Avant was shot dead. Remember, she was a big deal in Los Angeles. She was a philanthropist. So the city council... Of overwhelming Democrat voting, Beverly Hills Council people issued a unanimous vote, five to nothing, in favor of a resolution demanding Gascon's recall. Now, that is not legally binding. However, there is a legally binding recall going on against him. So if you live in Los Angeles, you're an L.A. voter, I would encourage you to go sign that petition. Meanwhile, new Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has released a memo this week telling prosecutors to use prison as a, quote, last resort, end quote. He wants them to downgrade some armed robberies to petite larceny cases. He said he would also no longer prosecute misdemeanor drug charges or prostitution. NYPD is obviously wildly against this. Now, this should be interesting because new New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who just got elected, has vowed to be tough on crime. I mean, that was like the central pillar of his uh, campaign. So those two are going to butt heads. Right now, Eric Adams is claiming he is going to work with the guy and he's okay, but um, that could come to a head, especially if crime keeps going. And also, let's go to Baltimore, where the woke Baltimore mayor's, quote, violence reduction strategies, end quote, has backfired as the city sees its annual murder and shooting rates rise with 337 killings in 2021, while non-fatal shootings increased from from 721 in 2020 to 726 in 2021. Baltimore's Democrat Mayor Brandon Scott had laid out a plan to reduce murders by 15% every year, but instead of lowering murders to less than 290 killings, the city reported 337. (laughs) They just... They just don't learn. They don't learn. They put together multi-million studies, and they have many commissions and think tanks and roundtables and commissions. And there's only you got to put people in jail, and you got to keep them there. And that's the only thing that for sure works. I know they don't want to hear it. They have it's like a religious cult. They think no, we got they they desperately want to empty out prisons and jails because of this like religious cult that they're in, and none of it works. Clearly, no. we've had a couple of years of this nonsense now. And you know about the guy in Philadelphia. They set an all-time murder rate. You know about the guy in San Francisco, Chesa Baudin, whose parents were terrorists. And he's frantically emptying the jails. It's not hard. You know, a new, hey, guys, job suggestion, honestly, become like a woke crime expert. Like, go to school, get like a criminal justice degree. But then, like, say, uh, call yourself something like a, uh, I don't know, call yourself something like a uh, intervention expert or something. You can make hundreds of thousands of dollars by the city as part of a roundtable or a consultant, and crime can go up every year, and your job is safe. It's like fucking, the only other thing comparable is being a homeless guy. Not a homeless guy yourself. I mean, a guy who studies homelessness. For a city. Like, again, homelessness rises every single year in Los Angeles, and those people all still have jobs. (laughs) It's like, 
It's the it's the ultimate job. All right. Uh, a couple sports stories. Of course, Antonio Brown stormed off the field uh, during a, uh, a Bucks game, Tampa Bay Bucks, in the middle of the game. That was funny. It was a halftime. He took off his cl- the, he took off his pads and his jersey, and he danced off the field. Now he's claiming this is after the team injected him with a dangerous painkiller for an ankle injury. Uh, and now it's funny they're they're doing great shit. Like he's like releasing text messages between him and the coach Bruce Arians. So like that's great. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, and then the other sport football story: Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. He hit back at a journalist who refused to vote for him as MVP because he branded the Green Bay quarterback, quote, the biggest jerk in the league, end quote. And this was all because he lied about being vaccinated and missing a game. And uh, Aaron Rodgers decided he didn't really care for that. And he actually put out, uh, he, somebody asked him about it. He decided to talk about it. So let's uh, hear his answer. Here. After what you said last week about what it would mean to win your fourth MVP, what, what do you think of, one of the 50 voters coming out and saying yesterday, quote, I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did and be the MVP. I think he's a bad guy, and I don't think a bad guy can be the MVP at the same time. I think he's a bum. I think he's an absolute bum. He doesn't know me. I don't know who he is. No one knew who he was probably until yesterday's comments. But, (laughs) I mean, to and I listened to the comments, but to say – he had his mind made up in the summertime, in the off season, that you know I had zero chance of winning MVP. My opinion should exclude, you know, future future votes. I agree with um, him on that. You know, his problem isn't with me being a bad guy or the biggest jerk in the league. Cause he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know anything about me. I mean, I've never met him. I've never had lunch with him. I've never had an interview with him. Um, his problem is I'm not vaccinated. You know, so if he wants to go on a crusade and collude and come up with an, an extra letter to put on the... Okay, I'll just stop him there. Yeah, I kind of agree with him on that. I mean, he shouldn't like... If he would have just said, oh, I'm not going to vote for him for MVP because I think he cost his team that one game and left it at that, that probably would have been okay, but you know, he went a little far. Uh, and then our third sports story, NASCAR has killed a sponsorship deal inspired by the Let's Go Brandon chant. Yeah, Brandon Built Motorsports would have seen their team driver, Brandon Brown, racing a car sponsored by LGB Coin. Well, they didn't like the LGB part. Uh, Let's go, Brandon. And they said, no, you can't do that. Uh, They called it a, quote, derogatory euphemism, end quote. And according to the motorsports team, they originally agreed to it. And then, of course, probably Twitter libs went crazy. And uh, they they decided to change their mind and backed off of that. So now they're not going to have the LGB car run in NASCAR anymore. That's a tragedy. Uh, let me see. What about this one? Now, in, in contrary to my opening remarks, I have no reason to think that this woman didn't do anything but earn her place. But... A in a historic move, Captain Amy Bownerschmidt is set sail is to set sail in command of the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln from San Diego on Monday. And this is unique. She is a helicopter pilot by trade. She will become the first woman to command a U.S. nuclear-powered aircraft carrier on 
the Abraham Lincoln. This is actually a first for me. I did not know that Navy pilots could command aircraft carriers. Is that typical? I thought you had to, like, be a boat driver. So maybe I should hold off on my remarks that I have no reason not to. Let me see. Does it say in here? Um, let me see. She became the first female executive officer, second in command of a nuclear aircraft carrier, the, the Lincoln, in 2016. Uh, she also went to the Academy, Naval Academy in this case. She graduated in 1994. Um... She got her wings as a naval aviator. And, uh, yeah, apparently you do not have to come up with a as a boat driver. I, I did not know that. So, good honor. Uh, remember that case I talked about where the... Remember the Nirvana cover work case? The naked baby case where the kid who was the naked baby on the cover of the Nirvana album, Nevermind, sued Nirvana, calling it child born? Well, Nirvana has won that lawsuit. The judge has dismissed the case because the guy, the, the baby at the time, he's 30 now, Spencer Alden, his lawyers missed the deadline to file opposition to request to dismiss. So, the fucking, they dismissed it. So Nirvana was prepared to argue that in the 30 years since, Eldon has profited from being the Nirvana baby. Eldon had claimed that he was the victim of child exploitation and that the cover is child porn. Well, his lawyers fucked up or somebody fucked up, so now they dismissed it. All right, starting around time here, guys. Let's go quickly. Man falls to his death in Hawaii, Nash, uh, Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. 75-year-old man fell 100 feet to his death in a closed area, uh, and he has not been named. And apparently he uh, fell right into the fucking volcano. Taking a picture? Selfie, perhaps? He's a little bit old to be shooting a selfie, but we never know. The European Union flag has been removed from the Arc de Triomphe, which, by the way, I've been to a couple times now. The pictures do not do that thing justice. It is absolutely magnificent if you've never been to Paris. The Arc de Triomphe, used to, it's huge. And it's just the detail, it, it's incredible. It's a... Uh, I was blown away when I stood in front of that thing. Anyway, a giant European flag displayed at the Arc de Triomphe has been removed after it was criticized by by right-wing politicians. Far-right leader Marine Le Pen said replacing the French flag at the movement monument was an attack on the country's identity. A government minister said the move was only ever meant to be temporary. Oh, funny how that worked out, huh? And of course, my man, far-right independent candidate Eric Zemmour, who is also running against President Emmanuel Macron, called it an outrage. He said, sacre bleu, mon dieu. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Uh, he's not really my man for you French guys listening. Come on. I, I, I do like, uh, I do enjoy the French media fainting over him. Any, any candidate that the media has conniptions over, I enjoy. That includes the orange man. That includes Zamor. It doesn't mean I support their policies or I don't think they're dopes. Uh, quickly, Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, has been hospitalized. Remember, he was stabbed in the stomach on the campaign trail back in 2018. He got some stomach discomfort, discomfort during his vacation. Uh, he was admitted to the hospital. It sounds like he's going to be okay, but uh, they'll keep an eye on him for sure. Canada has pledged $31.5 billion to settle the fight over that indigenous child welfare system. You guys remember that? Those schools where they found all the mass graves covered extensively 
last year. And what else? In Bosnia, a Serb nationalist is fucking pretty much uh, trying to screw up the uh, entire agreement uh, uh, over there. The Bosnia's region's leader, Milorad Dolcic, a pugnacious Serb nationalist, has basically announced he's creating his own medicines agency, so he wants to withdraw from the agreement between them, Bosnia and Herzegovina. And he also, he is withdrawing his government, which covers roughly half of Bosnia's territory from the oversight of central government inspectors. Also, he has threatened to pull out of Bosnia's multi-ethnic armed forces and form his own exclusive Serb army. He wants out of the state's tax agency, its intelligence service, and its judiciary. And he wants to get out of the, uh, he wants to accelerate the dissolution of the Bosnian state, which was birthed by a peace deal forged in 1995 in Dayton, Ohio. You guys remember, I'll remember the terrible Balkan Wars, some great documentaries on that as well. I'll, uh, I'll be watching that guy as well. The FBI has arrested a man accused of stealing unpublished book manuscripts. An Italian citizen who worked in publishing named Filippo Bernardini has been charged with wire fraud and identity theft for a scheme that prosecutors said affected hundreds of people over five or more years. Yeah. He's only 29 years old. He worked for Simon & Schuster UK, and they said he impersonated, defrauded, attempted to defraud hundreds of individuals over five or more years, somehow obtaining hundreds of unpublished manuscripts. And, uh, for example, he would send out emails impersonating real people working in the publishing industry by using fake email addresses, and uh, they would target people. And they'd send them the manuscript, and he'd turn around and sell them to other people. Good scam. Uh, a couple sad cop, cop stories quickly. Two Florida sheriff deputies killed themselves and left their six-year-week-old son orphaned. Friends say they have no idea. They never even saw it coming. Uh, the father was Clayton Austin. He took his own life on December 31st. Then Victoria Pacheco, in shock and devastated, killed herself two days later. Ugh. That is, that's like the worst story I've ever heard in this year. Well, the year's young. Uh, the wounded pardon, partner of that murdered Illinois cop, Marlene Ritmanic, is still fighting for his life after the two were gunned down by that career criminal who chased them through a motel. Tyler Bailey was shot in the head on December 30th while responding to a call in the Comfort Inn. He was with Sergeant Marlene Ritmanic, who was also shot and killed. Horrible, horrible. Ritmanic apparently was executed in cold blood when the police responded to the hotel over a call about fucking piece of shit Darius Sullivan, a 25-year-old career criminal's barking dogs. They knocked on the door of his room. He cracked the door open and fucking started firing. Yep. He chased Ritmanic down the hall and shot her multiple times in the head while she lay on the ground begging for her life. My God. And then also North Carolina state trooper accidentally kills his cop brother and another driver when he smashed into his brother's cruiser while helping him respond to a traffic stop. This guy's going to be 
fucking mental for the rest of his life. Yep, while on his way to assist, state trooper James Horton lost control of his vehicle and he collided with his brother's parked patrol vehicle. His brother was John Horton on the side of the road and he struck his brother and the guy they pulled over, Luke Beck, while they were standing along the roadside. Beck was also killed. Uh, It's very sad. Uh, Let's see. Miami Transient exposes genitals to a teacher and students at a learning center in South Miami. (laughs) He exposes genitals while making eye contact with the teacher through a clear glass window at the Starfish Tutoring Center. Come on. He looks like a methed-out Santa Claus. Oh, man. Remember Jared Fogle, the subway pedophile spokesman? Uh, he wrote a letter from prison that's being covered for some reason. Uh, it said he royally screwed up by committing child sex crimes. Yeah, and he also said he's in the best shape of his life in jail. Uh, Twitter has permanently suspended that nut job Marjorie Taylor Greene's account, the Republican congresswoman from Georgia, yeah, for spreading COVID misinformation or something. And let's see. Uh, the judge ordered charges dropped against those two New York City jail guards who were on duty when Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, they had charges for faking records saying they made the rounds. Well, their charges have been dismissed after they stuck to the rules of a plea deal. Hmm. And uh, Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez got a ton of shit online because, you know, after bitching about saying masks and all this stuff and saying Florida was the first place ever, guess where she went? She went down to a packed bar in a Miami drag bar and was spotted partying without a face mask. Oh, boy. And she was also with actor Billy Porter, who is no doubt quite woke and is uh, no doubt a big mask snag as well. And yes, uh, conservatives called her out on calling her hypocritical. Again, you know, I I think we're all adults here, but... uh, I'm not the one pushing masks on anybody. I, I choose to wear a mask inside because of my current condition, but that's what I choose to do. San Antonio police have arrested a delivery man on charges he exposed himself on a ring doorbell camera. <laughs> San Antonio Instacart driver was caught pleasuring himself on the victim's front doorstep. 29-year-old Javier Downs dropped off a customer's groceries in September... But then he returned moments later, this time dropping his pants and pleasuring himself. All caught on the ring camera. He then fled the scene after the customer's dog began barking. And this isn't even the first time. Police told the local news station that he was accused of a similar incident while delivering food for DoorDash last February. You guys wonder why I never have food delivery. There you go. A toddler grabbed a gun in a truck and shot his sibling and mother outside of a Texas Walmart. He's 18 months old. They are extremely lucky. It sounds like both of them will be okay. I don't. I'm gonna do the these story. I do a story like this like probably 10 times a year. I don't know when it's gonna stop. Ex-United flight attendant used dead child's identity. Ricardo Cesar Guedes used the name of a boy who died in a car accident in 1979 to get his airline job and a U.S. passport, according to a criminal complaint. Wow, he's a Brazilian guy. Uh, The application he submitted was used in a social security number that was issued in a child's name in 1996. Wow. 
He was arrested after he was observed using the victim's identity to enter a secure area of George Bush Intercontinental Airport in Houston. He was charged with fraud. I wonder how he was caught. He, he, he got away with this for two decades. Pretty good run. And then finally, you guys, big finish. I know you thought the guy dropping his pants on the ring doorbell was a big finish. It's not. Let us go to the Korea Herald. And I'm pretty sure this is real, not fake news. Police on Friday have pressed murder charges against the owner of a children's sports center in Seoul, Korea, on charges of sticking a 70-centimeter plastic stick into the anus of an employee and causing him to die with ruptured organs. The 41-year-old suspect, whose identity has not been put out, was arrested Sunday for the killing of the 20-something employee of the facility on December 31st. And investigators say they believe the suspect killed the victim after being irritated by his unspecified behavior. Based, this is interesting, based on a digital forensic analysis of his phone, police concluded that the suspect did not appear to have perverse sexual tendencies. So, so they looked at his phone for like what, anus porn? The suspect and the victim together drank six 640-milliliter bottles of soju on the day of the incident. The suspect is also believed to have used sticks to assault the victim. The suspect repeatedly said, I am sorry, as he was transferred to prosecutors. A public petition calling for the disclosure of the suspect's identity has been posted on the presidential petition website and has been signed by some 43,000 people as of Friday morning today. Wow. Okay. Just pissed him right off and he jammed it up the old chute. That's it. Guys, that's all I got for you. Uh, hey, if you really appreciate me doing stories like this and trying to bring stuff like AppSock to your attention, please consider going to Patreon.com. Search for BK Actual and consider making a small pledge to help keep the podcast going. I uh, will try to. I always try to break big stories in the military, and this is not the first one I've broken. Many of the media are running with it now, and of course, I don't really care about getting any credit. I just want the story out there. That's all I care about, the lowering of standards. I'm very passionate about it, as you can tell. Um, please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual and check me out on Instagram at BK Actual and be sure to uh, direct message me any concerns you have. AFSOC, if you're listening, of course, I can be reached there. And if you are civil to me, I will be civil right back. And I'd be glad to correct the record on anything and everything. So you let me know. And guys, that is the first podcast of 2022. Really appreciate everybody listening and I'll see you next week.